This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. My name is Dave Hanratty, and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 372 of the No Encore Music Podcast. We're back, and I'm delighted to be joined alongside Sonic Architect Adam. Hello, everybody. 372, is that all? Yeah, it's been a while. Uh, we're going to be joined this week, though, by um, a, a man who has history with the show. You know, he's helped out on sound duties before. He's guested before. He's won live quizzes that we've done before. Uh, just once, he he says here with his w- with the body language that, that I'm seeing across from me. He's in the studio. He is Lucan's finest. He is the <laughs> the uh, the leader of the project that is known as Tandem Felix, which has released a brand new song into the world. We'll get to that. There's an album coming. We'll get to that. His name is David Tapley. Hello. Hello. Welcome. I'm trying to project now because this is the level that I tested the microphone at. Okay. Are we peaking? We're not peaking. Okay. Probably. <laughs> Um, how are you? I'm okay, it's yeah. great to be here first hay time fever. in the studio. Hay fever is killing me. You yes, as well, I believe. Me also. I yeah. offered you some Telfast when I saw those eyes were pouring with with hay fever tears. All kinds of emotion, yeah. yeah. All kinds of emotion. Um, so on this episode, our top five is Spotlight Steelers. And I feel like some people are going to see that title and wonder what the fuck it means. Yes. Can you explain it? You chose it. This was um, partly inspired by one of my picks which I will not say what that is, for theatrics. Um, I was trying to think of sort of songs that... uh, The other one, 
It was, the, was, the, was the original title that I had, Songs by the Other One. So, you know, you've got the main one in the band or outfit, and then there's always that other one who has their moment in the, in the spotlight, uh, who steals the spotlight, as you suggested, and that's where we've landed on the title. So that's what we're, we're thinking on that. Yeah, I've made it sound like a cool cult video game or something, Spotlight Stealers. <laughs> um, yeah, so basically if I was in Tandem Felix, yes. if I was like the bass player or something, mm-hmm. And I had one song that I wrote yeah. and I sing on. Yeah. So I'm taking the mic off you, the spotlight off you. I'd like to pass the microphone over. Yeah. To the bass player. So that's exactly what we're doing yeah. with this one. So that's that's the top five later in the show. That's how it's going to be. But I would like to start the show by hearing from you in the form of music. Can you uh, can you cue up this song for us? Um, I can tee it up for you, and Adam can cue it up. Sorry, you've got two sound, sound engineers in the room here, so we're going to be very... This terminology must be correct yeah, all times. This is a mistake. Yeah. Yeah, I made a mistake with this booking. I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> um, the sonic architecture of this episode is going to be at Steely Dan levels. Um, well, it's stolen from me, let me yes, tell you. <laughs> for sure. But shared between myself and Adam. Um, yes, this is the new single of the second, upcoming second Tandem Felix LP. Um, I've been told never to use the word sophomore. I already have it in my notes. <laughs> yeah, I'm well, sorry. Apparently, cross it out or <laughs> underline it. Who told you never to use that word? Who do you think? <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Is yeah. a certain uh, music journalist and quiz champion. Let's call her Zara H. No, wait, that's, <laughs> that's, that's too obvious. obvious. Let's call her Zetterman. <laughs> um, yeah, apparently, it's I can't remember what word she said. It's gauche or something like that. I love the word gauche. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's gauche. Call it a sophomore album. But anyway, our sophomore album is coming out in October on the 20th of October and this is the first single of said album of the same name There's a New Sheriff in Town to that song in the only way I know how and so is Adam by opening a can in front of the microphone nice does this podcast come out in stereo can you pan pan that I think it's made mono by the aggregator which is quite frustrating that is very annoying well you know cheers raising raising glasses thank you very much guys to the return of Tandem Felix welcome back into the world Um, I was gonna you know I was reading an interview earlier on with uh, there's a band called The Armed who I absolutely love yes and they're back as well they've uh, put out a new single there's an album coming oh it's fucking good there's this extremely long cover story on the fader that I was reading earlier on and at one stage they made the point that they were saying we wanted to make this album sound like a million dollars was spent on it, but by by, by spending no money. Yes, <laughs> um, I I don't know how much you spent on this. I'm not asking that, but yeah. like the point I'm I'm torturously trying to get to yeah. here is the sound of this is fucking huge. Thank you very much. And I guess that's and it's a, cost a million dollars. To me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just curious as to like like there's a there's a sonic step up I think uh, from the last album. 
from what I can hear. That's interesting. Um, and by step up, I don't mean quote unquote better. No, I, mean, I, know, like I understand what you mean. There's definitely a difference. There's a shift in tone. I'm hearing a lot more. But again, I'm aware that I'm talking to two sonic architects. I'm not one. I'm just a, a humble critic. You've got a pair of ears though, but um, yeah, no, that's that's an interesting sort of thought. Because Didn't I text you and I said like David Tappy's wall of sound or yes, something? Yes, yeah. But I think of that sort of... I don't know. I, I It was certainly not what I intended to do with the outset of this project. Every time I start kind of a new album or a new EP or a new project idea or work on someone else's, um, producing someone else's work, I always sort of have a, a, a kind of a... Not a mission statement or whatever, but a sort of broad idea of what I want to do sonically over the whole thing. And with this one, it was very much... Not obviously I didn't anticipate the pandemic or anything like that, but it kind of it, it actually worked out in, in the end that I wanted it to sort of sound like it was recorded on different media, in different places, at different times. You know, some some of the recordings on one of the songs date back to almost twenty fifteen. Um not almost twenty fifteen, twenty fifteen in fact. So almost ten years there are almost ten year old audio recordings on the record, mixed with stuff that was recorded in 2022 so I kind of wanted it to be this sort of piecemeal um, thing from all over the place that would give me a bit of a headache in trying to make it sound good so the fact that you, you have said that it sounds like a sonic step up is is, a, is a, a great compliment and not something that I was even really considering I thought the last record sounded very polished and nice and I wanted to do something that was you could see the seams in it and it was it was it was like one of those old footballs when the patches start coming off and I wanted it to kind of feel like that as opposed to a brand new um, Nike Telstar or whatever those balls So like weathered. Yeah. You want a weathered feel? Yes, exactly. I, I don't know, like it sounds like it's from, like it's from a different time, not just 2015, mm. but it does sound older, to my ears anyway. Yeah, well, maybe that, that could be sort of genre specific as well, I guess there's a lot of kind of country influences and stuff like that that probably aren't the most ultra-modern way of, of writing or recording songs or whatever, but we didn't do any fancy recording on old tape machines or anything like that. Analog we, we stuff, yeah, yeah. It was just a bit to ask, actually. Little, little bit of it here and there, like some of it, some parts are recorded on an old dictaphone that I bought that I've got on eBay for 15 quid, or I do have a little cassette four-track thing, but I didn't go book wild on it, or I, I wasn't trying to use that as being the, the sort of sonic centre piece of, of the whole thing. It was very much a let's try and use some bits here so they kind of sound like that's an aspect of it, but didn't nothing was intentionally lo fi for the sake of trying to make stuff sound old. It was all just yeah, I dunno. It's five years since rom com, am I right? Two thousand and nineteen. Nineteen, sorry, four years, my apologies. Time itself has has turned It was just before the pandemic. Wow, and we had lots of gigs cancelled and all of that sort of stuff. Tremendous! So it's we're an amazingly lucky band that every time we have a little bit of momentum, something, something or other comes and and gets in the way, like a global event, like a global event, or people moving away and you know having to you know leaving college and stuff like that at the wrong in inopportune time and all that sort of stuff. But uh, hopefully, nothing's going to happen now. But but I'm curious as to what kind of time it's been for you from a writing perspective. You know, going from an album that I felt was a long time in the making to another one that feels like a long time in the making because it's coming off the back of the first one. But again, you know, a four-year cycle isn't unusual for anybody. You know, it's kind of almost the average, really, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, we definitely worked a bit slower because of COVID. Um, <laughs> I'm saying that as if if COVID wasn't around, it would have been released two years ago, but maybe not. Um, 
I yeah, I work I work on my own stuff sort of at a leisurely pace, so I can make those decisions slowly and come up with the ideas in my own time rather than doing things to a, to a strict deadline that maybe other people have imposed on them. Yeah, that's which, that's something I'd I'd kind of like to drill down a little bit into just from a producer perspective. Mm. Like, is that something that you have done in the past where you like had a finish line? kind of marked out clearly or was it is it a case of I'm going to do this until it's done and or like you know I'll do it until it feels like it makes sense no like I have I have a job and I don't tour all that much and I do all of these you know I I have a job so I don't have to make those hard decisions and work to a deadline or tour as much as I have to to, to sell records, to be able to live and pay for rent and all that sort of stuff. I, I, I like to not have those things. Now, that's not to say that if I did impose some sort of um, self-made deadline onto a project just to see if I could light a fire under myself, that wouldn't that wouldn't come up with something good. But I don't think I'd enjoy that. Yeah. Um, and I only do this for the enjoyment of it because life's too short <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> to I'm do one, deadlines I work with enough other people who have deadlines and, I'm and, and though, that is the hard work and, and that's fine and I love that too but yeah I, I'm wondering though like thematically though like it, it does that jar though because you know I read the statement I read uh, from you upon the release of this is that when you listen back to rom-com uh, quote it's funny to hear how much of an idealistic fool I was mm-hmm. uh, the song is on there's a new sheriff in town which of course is the new album are a lot more embittered more jaded yeah uh, I wanted to make the songs world weary. Yeah, I mean, was that you know you, how much of 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 a remove are you from that? Because that on paper that sounds like a heavy, bur- like burdensome, perhaps like an yeah. emotionally tricky process. A, don't think I'm a particularly heavy. That's the world thing. weary sort of person. I have. No, my, I think have you're as much cynicism as anyone else. You're about dry things in, in a fun way. Laconic is the word I've used <laughs> yes, you before. Of course, you. you're a witty guy. That's like, on the bingo card. Um... <laughs> Yeah, no, but it just, I also probably wasn't the same person that was the narrator of those other songs either, but, I mean, I've I've gotten a couple of messages from people asking what the chorus line of the single means, which is something I always feel like very, sort of, almost, I owe it to people to sort of explain the songs in some way, because I go to great lengths to write them, um, but then I always feel kind of awkward about actually answering it, because there is no great answer, and... I don't like those sort of answers when it's like, well, it's prescriptive, you know, whatever. Or it's not not so prescriptive. If you want to put your own vision or idea of what the song is onto it, that's perfectly fine. It's kind of not so true. But I also don't really have a great idea of what the song is about. I kind of tend to write them very quickly, sort of stream of consciousness. And then maybe I, through some sort of self-therapy, I've come to realize what I was trying to say. Um, and with this record, I was definitely trying to write songs just sort of around a mood, and that mood, I the mood I picked was that one I explained of sort of maybe cynical, embittered, world weary type of narrator. Just because I didn't, I did the opposite on the last one. It was it was all stories and funny songs, and kind of there was jokes in there, and I kind of wanted to do something that was a little bit more, I don't know, down to earth or 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 down-to-earth in, in not a um, he's a down-to-earth guy as in like come, come falling straight down-to-earth fell the, the way to the world um, Adam did you find it hard to marry like as in the di- the kind of dichotomy between the two exchanges under the Tandem Felix banner 
in terms of like this kind of lighthearted thing for rom-com mm. and then there's a new sheriff in town being well, a lot more uh, not I don't like uh, like you say cynical and you know world weary yeah. and like because it seems like there's maybe a bit of a leap between the two um, well certainly the I, I don't listen to the first record ever really um, I feel that probably a lot of people wouldn't be surprised to hear that a lot of people don't listen to their own stuff once it's out. I mean, I haven't really even listened to this record much since it's been mastered for fear of hearing something that I'm not going to like and I'm going to want to hear you. <laughs> Unpicture lock that. And we've all been there. We've all been there. But um, no, like, I, I, and I think as well, it probably won't be that incongruous or it won't feel like it's not part of the same body of work because there was a massive gap in between the two um, albums, both in temporally and also there was a pandemic and lots of people have come out of the other side of the pandemic in a a much worse condition than I'm in and uh, we'll probably see that sort of through line as being, that checks out, you know, bright and bushy-tailed on album one and album two has been dragged through a hedge backwards. So, (laughs) accidentally, I mean, it's like kind of the the pandemic almost fits in between the two of them Mm. as a, as a, as a plot point in in an unintentional way, even though most of the songs are written. There's a song on the record, which is the third track, which is all about being sick. And I often have, if you, as a listener can probably hear right now, bad hay fever around this time of the year, and it's all about that. But it's impossible for me to not convince people of, yeah, that it's yeah. not actually, uh, that's my COVID song or whatever, because mm. it's probably just going to sound like that to people. But Your anti-lockdown protest song. Yes, exactly. Yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> I mean, following the footsteps of many a great yes, bard. But I mean, I'm curious. I keep using the word curious. Um, you know, it's a naturally curious That's guy. Right. What can I say? It's this thing of like, you know, coming out of the pandemic, obviously like a lot of independent musicians have been completely decimated really. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're getting a second Tan and Felix album. You are, you know, essentially a touring member of St. Sister. Mm-hmm. You play Bad Hands yep. and um, Postcard Virgin. Like, are you, I mean, actually, I'm probably not even thinking about it. Neil Dexter right as well. Yes. So, they, so it's like you've been prolific, in, in, you know, in that kind of way. I mean, I guess I'm, I'm wondering how you're feeling about, like, where does Tan and Felix, what does it mean to you, this project in 2023? Obviously, it, I assume it's in a healthy place because you're releasing a new album. Yeah. But, it's evolved a lot. Time has obviously changed so much, mm-hmm. even without a fucking pandemic. Yeah. So I, I'm just wondering, like, where you're at, like, what it means to you at this point. Um, it means exactly the same as it always did. One of my sort of speaking of mission statements or whatever. Need to come up with a better way of better synonym for that. But um, one of my goals, no, one of my aims has always been to, to to make it possible for me to continue to make albums and make music and maybe continue to play gigs, TBD, um, until my dying day or whatever. So the only way I think that's possible for anyone to do is to just cultivate the factors and the space around them that they will only ever enjoy it. So that's kind of... Everything I do is based around enjoyment. I, I don't play that many gigs because I don't enjoy it all that much. I find it very stressful. love playing gigs with other people. Pressure's down. Um, it's that, and that's always been the way. I, 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 I like having the creative freedom to be able to do whatever I want and not have to hear that I need to make music that sounds like this to chase a trend or whatever, which is maybe one of the reasons I've never had much success with dealing with the rec- uh, record label side of the industry. And I've never had to also have that sort of 
owing someone money by getting money injected into the project. It's all been self-funded, self-released, so I've never had to do more gigs that I've needed to do. Um, and that's just going to be the sort of the, the, the way it'll it'll always be unless the, it, you know, there's an offer I can't refuse or unless there's something that that allows me to do these things without compromising the, the fact that I know I'll only do this as long as I enjoy it. So I can not enjoy all of the other things that I do in life that I got paid money for. Yeah. I can do it. I can have a job and, you know, hate having to go into work on Monday morning and all that sort of stuff. But that's not that's not the same as having a creative output, like having a band or being a musician or whatever. I, I, I would, I would quit it very quickly if, if it was something that I, that I came to hate. Yeah. I mean, I guess I was wondering, like, has it gotten harder? Like, like do independent musicians have to fight harder in 2023 than ever before? Is that, is that a narrative that even exists? I would say so, but it's definitely not something that I would engage with all that much because I, I take the easy way out with all this sort of stuff. If you did want to be an independent musician who, did have their entire weeks worth of hours to make music. You couldn't make the same decisions that I'm making. I'm speaking from a uh, a, a place of not not quite privilege or whatever, but like I don't mind having my square job on the side that allows me to to do to make the decisions to not do the things I don't want to do. Yeah. So but, yeah, but no, it is. It, it of course it is. It's it's it's. You're even seeing it for for non-independent acts finding it difficult to come over to Ireland because of transport costs, cost of living, the cost of putting on shows and even booking accommodation and stuff like that. And bands have cancelled booked tours and it, it it seems like the only way to get people over to Ireland at the moment is to book them for a festival, especially during summertime. Um and there's there's a multitude of reasons for that that that, that go into the nitty gritty of financing around music, which is completely broken and has been broken for a long time but there used to be a lot more money in this broken industry that <laughs> some musicians got to um, lick the cream off the top but definitely no one except for the, the top 1% can can enjoy that sort of lifestyle now without having to I don't know do some things they don't want to do or they used to call it selling out back in the 90s but I don't think they even say that anymore because everyone's like well, we gotta we gotta get that Honda ad because <laughs> also, what, what does it mean my children need wine I remember yeah. like, I remember reading like Explosion in the Sky having to put up a statement once about 10 or 15 years ago being like we put a song on a car ad and I, I understand some fans are annoyed at us but like this is the reality of also it's like why would you attack that band who clearly you know are making incredible music and are obviously very holistic and just like they're like they're literally just paying their rent. Like, yeah, that's not a bad if, thing. If the industry was in the state that it was back in the time when there was tons of money flying around, and you were in a position to be like, okay, I actually can do the altruistic thing and say, no, I don't want my music on that delivery ad or or whatever some companies that they might find to be egregious in some way. That that is great, and you know maybe the 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 real top 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 of the musicianship world or whatever are able to do that still but 
the old explosions in the sky, boys. Like, give them, give them a break. Like, yeah, it's not like they like. I don't think it was anything to do with oil or anything. No, of course not. Yeah. <laughs> Although you know, cars cars run on oil. So that's I don't, I don't true. Um, okay, so they album, do. the album is coming. Yeah. The release date is October twentieth of October. Twentieth of October. Yes. It's called this new sheriff in town. Nine tracks, I believe. Nine tracks. You beautiful man. <laughs> Thank you very much. Some of the songs are very long, though. That's okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, like your your lead single here is like almost six minutes. It's very true. No radio yeah. edit for this, you know. Yeah. It's all about the art. Yes, and if it doesn't get played on radio, I apologise. <laughs> you can listen to it on Spotify. Uh, yes, and everyone should go and check it out on Spotify. And also, you, you've noted that you find gigs stressful experiences, but people can come and see you be stressed out. That's very true. Please be nice to me on the 23rd of November in Whelan's if you're Dublin-based and TBD, other uh, territories outside of the Pale, uh, coming soon. Cool. Yeah, bring a sign says you can do it happily <laughs> <laughs> your music saved my life would you like to do the news section yes i of, certainly would of the podcast yes cool let's jump into that with adam's assistance start spreading the news Glasto has been and gone for another year. Hashtag Glasto. Glastonbury, everybody. My favourite festival. Mm-hmm. I've never been. Neither have I. I never intend to go. Tried one time. Did you? Yeah. When? The Bruce year. Um, I think it was the first year they did the photo ID printed on the ticket situation. And the website crashed and yada, yada, yada. And we couldn't get tickets in the end. And I was like, ah, because you don't know the lineup when tickets go on sale. I was like, ah. Probably won't be a great lineup anyway. And then it was Bruce Springsteen. I was like, ah, oh, that would have been really fun, actually. It, uh, it just looks so overwhelming. Um, it's the size of a town. There's so much happening. Uh, my festival days are mostly done. You know, some people treat it with like this religious fervor, which annoys me. It's very precious people about their beloved hashtag Glasto. And of course, you know, you uh, you throw in the BBC and you inevitably get the. Oh, cracking performance there from Bruce Springsteen on the main stage. But we're going to go over to the circus. And I'm like, no, no. <laughs> I, I want to see the thing. No? Like, why do we have to have all this? I will say the like, BBC coverage is actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. It's famed for being quite good. Did you take in any of this coverage? Quite or? a lot of it, actually. You did, yes. I'm, well, I'm glad you did because like, a lot of headlines coming out of this one. Yes. So, I guess, where will we start? I mean, you could spin the, the digital virtual roulette wheel if you want to. I think we go to. chronological. We go chronological? I think so. Okay, so how about we start with, with Arctic Monkeys? Yes, the right? Monkeys back in Somerset. Yes, they perform. The Monkeys. <laughs> it's, oh yeah, give me your best, Alex Turner. I was have been walking around the house all week going, which is all I could hear from my television. Okay, right, okay. I'm looking forward to it. I think we're going to have a bit of a debate here. So I'm getting a sense. Right, Arctic Monkeys, despite pulling out of their Dublin date midweek, due to laryngitis on uh, that struck down Alex Turner, uh, performed. He laryngied to us. Lovely. I love it. It's a gay burn joke, by the way. It's still great. <laughs> well, uh, imagine imagine he was in front of the Oireachtas Committee right now. I, I couldn't, couldn't imagine that. What would he be saying? Squeaky clean. Here's the thing. Alex Turner and his band of merry men popped up for the third time as a headliner, I believe. I believe so. At Worthy Farm at Glastonbury. And the internet was set ablaze. Let's have a little listen to what they sounded like. Go, go, go. That's not...
So that's uh, Body Paint by Arctic Monkeys. They performed on Friday night, and I didn't watch it live. I guess you did. I did. Um, and I believe a certain aforementioned music journalist was tweeting up a storm <laughs> about her, <laughs> her, her her repulsion, Zara Hedeman's repulsion at the Arctic yes. Monkeys. I uh, caught on to it over the weekend because I ended up going on Radio Nova on the Sunday and, and I found myself defending Arctic Monkeys, I have sure. to say. Yeah. But it just seemed to be... So uh, you're telling me that you went against the popular opinion on Twitter... Wouldn't. For money. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. It doesn't sound like me. So essentially what happened was, uh, I just all I saw on Twitter was negative reaction after negative reaction. People aggressively, yes. you know, Eamon Sweeney, like, you know, yes. very measured critic. Yes. I love Eamon Swench, yeah. lovely man. He was both barrels. I saw, like, people I was... He called them pricks at one stage. Yeah, I was just like, yeah. whoa, I wouldn't Swench. Go that far. Um, so uh, what was the cause of the hubbub? Can you explain this? And also, just, what, what did we just hear? That wasn't, wasn't that perfect, no? <laughs> You're kidding me. <laughs> that was perfect, yeah. Um, quite a lot of things. So the vi- did you watch any of the footage or did you just listen to Oh, I watched to the it? entire thing on okay. Sunday morning. But right. I should say as well, like I, I think, based on previous conversations, you're very much not on board with the recent uh, directional change of this band. I believe my first ever episode of No Encore was talking... No, 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 maybe second episode of No Encore was talking about... Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino? I was hoping you'd let me try and butcher the title for oh, comic effects. I'm so sorry. <laughs> do, you want, do you want to try it anyway? No, it's all right. There'd be plenty more times for me to butcher some titles of The Art of Monkeys. Um, on purpose. But uh, why was there such a negative forever on Twitter... I think one of the things is that I'd say a lot of people actually haven't really checked in with them in a few years. And I think if you were to ask the uh, the, the the layman what their last memory of Alex Turner is, they would say that old rock and roll, mic drop, Brit Award, or Mojo Awards, whatever it was. It was Brit Awards. It was Brit Awards, I got it right. Okay, sorry, I wanted to butcher that as well. Um, <laughs> Mojo I want to awards. try and pretend to be above all this. But uh, um, he, he, what is is the mojo? What is the mojo? Well, mojo's a magazine. It's a rock magazine. Oh, that's not what I was thinking of. Um, you might be thinking of the Mobo, the Mobo Awards, Mobo Awards Musical yeah. Black Origin. Yes, yeah. It would be strange if Alex Turner won an award there. Yes. This is very true. Yes. Um, I was trying to think of any other uh, English awards. Smash certainly. Hits Awards. The Smash Hits. Still yeah, thing, The Nickelodeon yeah. Kids Choice Awards. Um, Mercury Prize. No, that would be too honourable. What's our favourite one again? The Ivor Novello. Say it with children. That was a test. You both passed. Thank you. Thank you very much. Be weird if I didn't, but sorry, go on. Um, He hasn't changed his sort of fake character, drunkard, um, last shadow puppets, uh, fried brain sort of character that he has done. Lizard, Scott Walker. Everyone keeps saying Scott Walker and I don't really get what that is because he wears a suit or something. I think it's like, it's Nick Cave meets a fake James Bond voice that he's putting on. Does a lot of, for visual... um, based audio based platform i'm doing this point past the microphone at no one in particular that he does in his his lounge suit with his slick back greasy hair pointing at random probably arctic monkeys fans face in the crowd or whatever like nick cave does and it's just totally incongruous to this like landfill indie brip hop adjacent sort of stuff now this stuff in in more recent years um i think suits that character better um but were i think you, uh, were you ever a fan like, like, did, never really a fan all. i completely 
hated the first album and have now come to realise that's the only one I can actually bear okay. because they were kind of being themselves. So, and everything since then has been this this sort of... Um, they've become the 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 fake tellers of the tale of San Francisco. So you don't have a problem with the sonic pivot that they've done? No, I kind of You're like... You're never this, really on board. I like the sound of that Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino. Did I get it right? Yeah. Um, album... I just, his lyrics bother me. The voice he puts on bothers me. I think he's a total phony. I always have. Do you think he's taking the piss? Or do you think he's just having a fun time? No, I think he's trying to do, I, I think he probably is enough of a, uh, I was about to say auteur, and I'm not going to say auteur. I think he's enough of a, like, understander of what a musical career looks like that he is okay with doing an alienating set in the middle of his career you know, I say the middle because Arctic Monkeys are going to continue on for many years, I'm sure, and 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 probably have many other pivots. Mm-hmm. And all of the great musicians of our of our time, the last hundred years or whatever, have had these weird middle periods where most of the people will say that they're washed up and then they come back and do something even greater in their their late period or whatever. And so, I think he's kind of trying; he's like forcing that or whatever. But he's still like such a young man yeah. that I think he's trying to put on this jaded. Um, He's got all, like he's world like, weary. You might he's, say he's got, but he's got this sort of. I'm not going up on stage. Well, I, I never go up on stage, but I'm not going up there pretending to be this drunkard. Like I think unintentionally, I think intentionally underperforming the songs. Well, take me into the Tapley House go last on. Friday. Yes, and you're sitting down. Why they're on at like nine or something? something I presume. Like that, yeah, uh, and just take me through what what you saw, what you were saying, what you thought. So. I I'm probably not as good a barometer of this as Zara Hederman is because she has uh, has been a large fan of the Arctic Monkeys for many years, maybe up until the last couple of records. And so they'd start playing a song, maybe a newer song or a song she liked that kind of was maybe a bit too slow or a bit sludgy or whatever. And she was very let down by some of the set, some of the parts of the set. But then they'd kick into a classic, and she'd you know, fist bump in the air and be like, yeah, here we go. Start doing the lasso uh, dance move or whatever. Her signature move. Her signature move. Yeah. And within 30 seconds, she'd be like, this is terrible. Like, (laughs) they're they're literally butchering the classics. Um, And repeat ad nauseum for the next 90 minutes, mixed in with the worst stage patter you've ever heard, him putting on this stupid marbles in his mouth voice. I thought it was so funny when after like Arabella... I think he was like he. She was like Arabella, outstanding, outstanding. And did I he like, say like, outstanding? I, I think he did. And then he also wrote about like um, <laughs> another one, which is just um, the monk. I can't remember. He's had these weird like you know like like that as top class. Or I don't know. He's just like, saying weird shit, like complimenting his own, his own songs. songs. Yeah, it was just weird. I he got, was embodying uh, Jack Grealish on the top of the Man City uh, treble of, yeah. bus. Yeah. I mean, I personally didn't have a problem with it, but I'm not all that invested in them to begin mm. with. I guess the question becomes because I saw like again some of the the fury on Twitter and online. I saw one one statement which will haunt me for the rest of my life which was someone saying, and I quote, sorry, but monkeys, you're not understand Glastow. <laughs> like, okay, right. <laughs> not sure what that means. But I think people are kind of coming at them being like, oh, it's a Friday night festival headliner. It should just be the bangers. It should just be the hits and, you know, played seriously and not butchered and not fucked around with, you know, they did 505 and it was a slowed down croon. And even I was like, oh, come on, man, play that one as it is. It's yeah. a great song. But I didn't, I didn't see the cause for the massive outrage and I kind of find it more interesting that a band is doing something different than just, you know, 
this this one's for all the people in bucket hats, you know. Just felt a bit like, but it is weird though to have here's Brian Storm and then and then here's seven minutes of outer space wanderings. I think it's unfair to ask an artist to just like to even expect it of an artist to just come out and do that because they have a festival headliner. Like it, it, it feels like it kind of diminishes it a little bit, and it diminishes like the art that they made, and it's it does. kind yeah. of it's disrespectful. Like you yeah. know what I mean? So. I think that thought, like that kind of attitude towards it, is very unfair. So, you know, if they're playing a set, they're going to play whatever the fuck they want to play. Yeah, big time. You know, it's not mandated stuff. So, I, I am, um, I'm totally in agreement with that. But my, my main issue going back to it is that even the hits that they did play, I think, he, I, th- <laughs> I think he forcibly was, 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 was like putting the tired mouth on it or something like that to coin mm. a phrase like he was he was trying to make it seem like it was just I'm too drunk for this or something he had this, this is this lounge lizard character unfortunately entered the actual space of the songs not just the in between stage patter or his stupid James Bond voice he was putting on yeah I think um, that I think the just like from I'm not on Twitter anymore I got rid of it and it's, it's the a good best I- thing I ever idea. did but like I, I wasn't on it, so like to hear that that seems to be the general consensus. Dave, I might be wrong, but it like was that I saw the general people defending consensus? them the day after? But Friday night was pretty much wall to wall negativity. Did you like any of it, Tapley? No, nothing. That was really bad. Okay, <laughs> I just thought bad, it was bad. pretentious. I don't know, but I, I don't have a like. I don't know. Yeah, it's not that I'm. But they're not. They're not one of my bands. They're not. I, yeah, I always liked them. I, I never had this massive religious experience, but like, did you see as well that like they played like a, a show? And we should say as well, he was recovering from, you know, um, laryngitis. laryngitis yeah. Sorry, I found it. So yeah, uh, after, I think he, after four out of five, possibly, which is, I think is a great song, he just goes effective, very effective. <laughs> Like a Pokemon battle. Or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's super effective. I don't know what the point Alex is. Turner used James Bond voice. <laughs> they played in Southampton uh, like the previous weekend or something, and a brawl broke out during Cornerstone. I saw that during Cornerstone. I saw that <laughs> Cornerstone oh soundtracking a brawl. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I think the, I prefer the early stuff for, versus there, I prefer the late stuff, lads. Bashing ex- heads there are some too. people who are like, you know, this band is crystallized between the years 2006 and 2009 or 14 mm. for them, and then that's it, and that's what they go and expect to see. And fair enough, you know, you might reasonably expect to get the hits at a festival slot, but again, I think treating artists like living jukeboxes, unless it's a expressly stated greatest hits tour, sure. you know, is a dangerous game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I Absolutely. still think that despite the reaction, if they get announced as headliners again, they'll fill it up again. You know, people will just go like yeah. lemmings. You know, they'll just yes. turn up. Of course, he will. And maybe the next time it will be better. Maybe he'll, maybe he'll figure it out. Maybe he'll stop pretending like it's all so hard, and he'll just resume making class rock music like he did in his early days and stop feeling like he's above it. Because let's uh, let's pivot to further Glastonbury action here, uh, Lewis Capaldi made headlines this weekend as well, or last weekend as well, rather, uh, with um, a performance, uh, like he struggled during his performance. He, of course, was recently diagnosed with a form of Tourette syndrome, and it's something that he is still, I guess, battling with. Uh, it's, been, it's been well documented, I think literally in a documentary as well. Mm-hmm. He was performing, I think, on the main stage. Um, I believe he was, yes. And this audio is him uh, struggling through his big hit, Somebody You Loved, and you hear the crowd kind of kind of get involved and, and take up for him. So 
Uh, yeah, it's a bit of a long clip. I think you kind of need the context for it. So let's have a listen. So if you haven't seen the footage, you know, he is physically struggling. You can hear it there. He can't continue the song and the crowd sing it back to him en masse, thousands and thousands of people. And I should say that, like, I'm the first person to slag off Glastonbury, slag off the crowds. I'm of the opinion that if you go to a festival, you are, in fact, subhuman scum. Um, <laughs> but, uh, Tell us how you really feel, dude. But I should say that, like, uh, I found this, like, this clip, you know, very quickly went viral. Um, I think it was the second day, possibly. Um, and, you know, I saw it and I, I definitely was moved by it. And I, I thought it was, I felt so bad for him. Uh, it's so clear that he was absolutely devastated by what happened. Um, and I, you know, I kind of saw it and I, you know, saw some of the discourse and such. And we'll get to his statement in a moment. But like last night when I went back to pull the clip, uh, I bawled my fucking eyes out crying. <laughs> I was in bits. Um, I just thought it was that showcase of extreme empathy from the crowd I think was absolutely incredible uh, it's devastating that it happened but I mean to, they saved him like they they, put, they 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 wrapped their arms around him and they, they, they got him through it like it's a beautiful beautiful thing and that song you know whether you like it or not like you know it's a middle of the road ballad but it's a big song mm-hmm. and it's his big song and like it's about you know having your heart broken and it's about you know, wound, being wounded and not being able to, all kind of stuff. And I just thought it was, and you see it as well on their faces, like they, they're they smiling, like they don't, there's no one booing them. There's no one like, you know, like turning away in disgust. There's no one mocking them. Uh, they very clearly, some kind of weird telekinetic thing happened there where all these people roared him on, finished his song yeah. for him. It reminded me slightly of that time when Prince died and um, was it D'Angelo? was performing with... He broke down, didn't he, on stage or something? He broke down while he was performing at his piano and it's... Oh, God, what's that actress's name? Fuck, it'll come to me. Uh, Maya Rudolph, she took over for him because he couldn't... Oh, wow. It's a stunning moment. It's so devastating. 
and so was this. And I just I, I couldn't stop crying last night when I when I when I was like you know rewinding the clip and picking the part to whatever. I I thought it was just a beautiful, sad, incredibly sad, and it's awful that, that he had to go through it. But it, like what what a fucking beautiful thing that people actually rallied around him to such a degree. And he is such a nice guy. I know it's a cliche. Oh, big time. But he actually is yeah. like he. What you see is what you get. I've interviewed Lewis three times. And every First time, huh? First name basis. Lewis, me, Lewis, and I. I've interviewed. Yeah, that 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 did that did sound very Dave's inserting himself into the story here. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't mean for it to. But I've interviewed Lewis Capaldi um, three times, and every time he was so fucking sound and oh, so savage. nice. And the very yeah. first time, like he came to the Joe office, there was no one there, and you know he was on the rise and everything. But he was just this really nice guy, very funny, very humble. You, you know what you see is what you get type thing. I don't think it's an act. You know, I'm not mad about the music. I reviewed his most recent album. I didn't give it a great review, but it doesn't matter. Like, he's a star. And it just, I, I, it was just such a, it was such a painful thing. And I thought at least something really heartfelt came out of it. And it felt real. And it felt like that was a genuine, I know it's, it's a viral festival moment, but I was like, I, I thought it was just, I, I thought it was kind of magical in, in, in a really sad way. What did mm. you think? Oh, well, like in, in terms of that part of the, upper echelons of hyper successful pop music which feel like they have no real parts to them and that everything is so manufactured it's it's hard not to look at something that is a very rare real moment despite it being a like a a, a upsetting thing happening to him but despite it and it has been saved by the crowd or whatever so turned into a positive I guess in, in some way or some way or another it's amazing to see something real happening out of out of a sort of very, there was a lot of, I watched a lot of pop sets over the Glastonbury weekend and, you know, every now and then I'd be kind of going, oh, they're not miming. Oh, no, they're back to miming now. They just didn't mime for that one bit. Okay. And it was amazing to see, and Lewis Capaldi didn't mime, um, talked a lot in between songs and stuff like that and it was very funny and he was extremely charming and I <laughs> just couldn't help but root for him and then when that happened to him, it's just amazing to see it come back in kind that he is, he's not too cool for school, not referencing anyone else who's playing the festival that weekend, but like, it was just a nice real moment and I'm glad it worked out for him or whatever, it sounds strange to say, but if that, uh, if if that clip going viral helps him even a small way, it's... It, it's it's a good thing that's that's come out of something very difficult for him and maybe it, it can be something that he can think of in, in the future and it might help him with his disability or whatever knowing that he's always got the crowd on his side so it'll feel less nerve-wracking because it must be one of the biggest sh- shows he's ever done yeah and that was the peak of it right mm-hmm. and that's the moment I desperately hope it does help him I, I thought about this and I desperately hope that he doesn't feel embarrassed or mm-hmm. ashamed or any of those things I'm yeah. sure you would I know I fucking would you know if, if something you know but like yeah, I hope he doesn't. I hope he sees that people love him. Yeah, and just want him to be okay. So he put out a statement a couple of days later, uh, cancelling his tour. Essentially, um, said hello everyone. First of all, thank you to Glastonbury for having me for singing along when I needed it, and for all the amazing messages afterwards. It really does mean the world. The fact that this probably won't come as a surprise doesn't make it any easier to write. But I'm very sorry to let you know I'm going to be taking a break from touring for the foreseeable future. I used to be able to enjoy every second of shows like this, and I had hoped three weeks away would sort me out. But the truth is, I'm still learning to adjust to the impact of my Tourette's. And on Saturday, it became obvious that I need to spend much more time getting my mental and physical health in order. 
so I can keep doing everything I love for a long time to come. I know I'm incredibly fortunate to be able to take some time out when others can't, and I'd like to thank my amazing family, friends, team, medical professionals, and all of you who've been so supportive every step of the way through the good times, and even more so during this past year when I've needed it more than ever. Uh, I'm so incredibly sorry to everyone who had planned to come to a show before the end of the year, uh, but I need to feel well to perform at the standard you all deserve. Playing for you every night is all I've ever dreamed of, so this has been the most difficult decision of my life. I'm back as soon as I possibly can. All my love, always, Lewis. Um, yeah, and like, again, I haven't, all, all, all I've seen is support, you know, of and course. heck would you know. amazing, yeah. But that, like, that album's just out. Mm-hmm. Massive show is booked. Headliner Electric yeah, so, Picnic, am- yeah. amongst other things. It's amazing he can cancel a tour. It can't be, that. like, I guess, you know, I say it can't be that simple, but I guess a quick decision. Yeah. It would appear that people, whether it's a label, whether it's management, I don't know what, we don't know what goes on behind the scenes. Yeah. But it would appear that people were just like, no, like, it's over for now. Well, Which, again, is devastating. Well, he's touring a second other, album, you know, it's like a big deal. Of course. One of the other things, uh, it, it might feel, uh, sorry, a little bit privileged for me to say, like, hopefully that'll help him with his disability. But what it certainly will do, that clip going viral, is that it will help to educate audiences, uh, specifically his audience, but also maybe a broader sort of thing that if someone does have an attack in, in, in Tourette's or in any other sort of, maybe he has an anxiety attack or whatever, things like that happen to people on stage all the time, that the power of the collective audience getting together to, to rile up some sort of positive feeling for the performer can result in a positive or whatever. Um, and also maybe that clip will help people's understanding that by cancelling his tour, he's doing it not out of just, you know, Alex Turner had Laryngitis, what did I, was it laryngitis? Yes. <laughs> and uh, everyone's like, hey, does he fuck or whatever, you know? And he probably did. And it's he's a, he's a, a performer and an, a musician who's going on stage and performing and doing labour that needs to be done or whatever, as as, as is his, his want in, in his role. Um, if someone needs to... Uh, and, and the terms that have been set since in Live Nation, at least since COVID, are not favourable for people cancelling concerts. You lose pretty much fucking everything. Um, but at, at the very least, if you have the support of your fan base to know that you need to do it for your own personal health and headspace or whatever, that's yeah. something. And, and hopefully that video will go some way to... Well, it's a, com- it's a conversation for another day because I think you're bringing a point there with regards to like, you know, what happened with him, to him, and in front of all those people mm-hmm. was very visible. Yeah. Whereas Alex Turner's laryngitis is invisible. Yeah. And you got to wonder, you know, and obviously like, you know, not that people don't love Alex Turner, but Capaldi's got much more of a, you know, people think, oh, like, you know, he's my mate. You yes. know, we can go to the pub with that guy. Yes. Um, I wonder if, you know, it's a different kind of thing where it's like, you know, and again, you know, there are there are still people, of course, who are like, you know, oh, being a rock star is not, not <laughs> uh, that, that's, that's not a job. Yeah. Uh, it is like, and there's tons of emotional and physical labor involved as well. But, you know, it's that class thing of, like, you know, it's the mental health thing where it's like, well, it's not, you can't see it, therefore we don't know the severity of it. There's no question yes. that Lewis Capaldi was in a position to where he was unable to continue. Yes. And you got to wonder. It's unfortunate that it has to be and, you know, you in mentioned front Live of Nation. a crowd at, on the Glastonbury main stage yeah. for it to be visible. There's but no it brings way. up the overall music industry and welfare and... Yeah you know, standards and what we kind of think and our go-to reactions to things and, you know, you never really know. And there for sure has been casualties by that lack of understanding or whatever, so... Yeah. And there will continue to be. Um, anyway, like I say, conversation from the time, we wish Lewis Capaldi all the best. He's a very, very nice man and even if he wasn't, it wouldn't matter. It just matters that it was a human moment and I hope that he's doing better. 
Uh, let's move on to Lana Del Rey, uh, who performed and uh, controversy follows in Lana Del Rey's wake, of course. Here's some audio of after she was cut off early, thrown off the stage. Here's Lana greeting her public. So yeah, if you didn't see that, obviously, like what was happening there is Lana Del Rey had her set cut off early, and she was down kind of in the front row greeting fans who were you heard him at the start singing "Summertime Sadness," like very Wickerman esque atmosphere there with those <laughs> you know, those voices at the beginning, terrifying yeah, stuff. Happy birthday, Wickerman! Happy birthday, Wickerman! And so she is, you know, and she's like going up to fans and she's kind of like you know like shaking their hands or like giving them a hug or something and like. They then like pull back and start bawling. It looked like because mother mother has acknowledged her, yeah. them, you know, and it's like yeah, it looked like a religious thing, right? It, or like you know, Robbie Brady kissing his girlfriend at Euro twenty sixteen or something. It was a very <laughs> like Renaissance painting. I assume there's vibe. some Twitter account, yeah, Lana Del Rey Renaissance moments or whatever. But why? Why was she cut off? Do you know why she was cut off? Because there's a strict twelve o'clock curfew, right? Yes, and she was late on stage by half an hour because she was going to the shop and trying to buy two hundred and fifty elf bars to smoke on stage. I don't think it's quite that. <laughs> I, I think it was uh, she was doing. She, the excuse she gave was that she was doing her hair. Yeah. And enough. now, in fairness, when she was first announced for Glastonbury, she was pissed off at the placement she was given or something, headlining the. Other stage. Yeah, but she publicly gave out about just like, I think how it was announced or where she was placed on the poster or something. Right. So there was some beef to begin with. Cool. And I have to wonder if there was some That's kind cool. of long form grudge here. Yeah. Where it's like, no, no, I'm going to fuck with this. But then they cut her off. <laughs> and so people were obviously furious and they were saying, well, why, why wasn't Alex Turner cut off? And I think it's just different curfews for different stages or something. I don't quite know Did how they, it works. I didn't realise they went over time. I don't quite know how it do. works, but there may or may not be some double standards in play, but ultimately that's what happened. She had a curfew and didn't, you know, yeah. she, she frank-oceaned it, essentially. And, mm-hmm. you know, this is what we expect of our, our you know, of our genius artists, yes. perhaps. But I kind of feel like you can't get too mad at Glastonbury Security for doing their job. She knowingly what? went on stage half an hour late. Yes, I mean, you got to feel bad for the kids in the front row who've been queuing up and sitting... You know, I had a friend who went last year, a couple of friends went last year, and um, Paul McCartney was playing, and big Beatles fans, they were. <clears throat> and so they had to sit on the ground and stand during the sets and stuff for every single act they played for the entire day. That doesn't sound like that bad or whatever, but like, there's 100,000, 150,000 people there by the end, so if you want to go to the bathroom or whatever, it becomes a bit of an ordeal. Just to get, like, not even up the front, but like, to get a good spot. So you have to imagine there's people up the front at Land Del Rey who've been there for 10 hours or something like that, sitting through bands they probably don't want to see. Baking in the hot sun. Baking in the hot sun, struggling to be able to get out to go to the bathroom and all this sort of stuff. Getting ready to burn Edward Woodward to death in a giant wicker construction. Exactly, yes. Oh God, oh Jesus. Oh Jesus uh, Christ! <laughs> <laughs> what, a movie, um, what a film. What a, fi- what a picture. What a picture. But... Just let her go on late and fine her. 
Yeah. That's what happens everywhere else. You know, maybe you can't do that at a festival or whatever, but have it written into the contract. If you go over 12 o'clock, you pay 20 grand. And I'm sure she'd do that. Uh, whatever. She's, she's playing here next week. She certainly is. As she announced days ago. She announced a gig. Amazing. Nine, Bananas. Nine Amazing. Days, nine days out. And I believe the pre-sale was murder. Moida. Moida. Today, for people trying to get in there. It's three <laughs> arena, I believe. And yeah, I, 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 more of this, I say. More last minute big gig announcements. Don't give me like... She'll play in a year. That it's was like, a, it's a I'm real here like next fucking week. It's I'll, real like Peter K. You got to see Peter K. And it's like oh, but tickets yeah. October 2025. <laughs> yeah. You're like who knows? We'll we be have still around. <laughs> but like, there's part of me that wonders: is like, did she just did like, she mean re- to say 2024? <laughs> <laughs> no, but not even that. It was a case of like, did she just? Was she just like ringing up all the agencies like MCD or whoever and being like, uh, she do you have anything? Any cancellation? Do you have anything? Friday she she wasn't. Her team was. Lewis I mean, isn't like, playing, gang. Can she, I get in? Uh, well, she's doing Hyde Park, I think. So like, I think it's around that. She announced like, you know, one in Amsterdam, one in Paris, and one in Dublin. She just had some days off on the calendar. And what a flex. Do you reckon? And they're all going to sell. Oh, it'll be gone in seconds. Like, Yeah, I'm going to try and get tickets. It's going to be great. But, I mean... I booked a show in Wheelands for November on a Thursday and I had to book it months ago. And Everyone only... listening, get a ticket now. <laughs> yes, please. Tana Felix. Google Tana Felix. And I had to book it ages ago and it's been booked, like, held for months. Yeah. So, Lana Del Rey just happened to, in probably the last while, just, there was a Friday in... What are we now? July, I guess. I'm pretty be. sure, like, um, I, I like Apes played three or uh, played the three Olympia, the Olympia there recently, and I'm quite certain that that gig was uh, booked over a year prior. 100. percent Like because th- that was all. So do you reckon this is maybe the new genius marketing strategy? Book of it, being say like, nothing, and like, then book it, say nothing. And the thing about it is, is if that it you is, don't if, have that thing of people being like, "I'll get tickets at yeah, the time." If it is, like, "I got to get if this." If it is, that is that 901. Is, that is a genius marketing so clever, strategy. Yeah. If it is, and again, you always have like out of a festival, you always have like you know gig announcements mm-hmm. uh, usually when they happen. But yeah, if this is a, a was a long term strategy, genius. And if not, it just showcases the power that she has. Maybe that's also why she went over time. What, so that people in people press, like she didn't play video can, games. No press is bad press. Pe- people in Glastonbury can now go to Dublin. Didn't for, see video <laughs> games. <laughs> the Holy Grail. Glastonbury's on television, go. Dave. You That's know, come true. on, we're all watching. You're like, she didn't play video games. Got to go to the point. <sighs> video games is. Uh, I, I stand by my my hot take that video games is not a good song. So you know, that's my that's my hot take there. Not mad about Lana Del Rey full stop. Took me a long time honest, to sorry. even get around to any, to even liking her at all. Yeah, I'm kind of like, yes, yeah, I can take her or leave her. Doesn't do it for me at all. That's fine, Overrated. Guys. Uh, so let's have a listen to another artist, Discreet, shall we? By the way. Another artist, uh, from some more audio from Glass. How long is this section, by the way? Um, <laughs> I, we we I, are I, now an hour into the podcast. Fuck off. Okay, I'm cutting the last few news stories. They're not that good anyway. Um, well, let's continue, though, for our Glastonbury roundup. Uh, Rina Sawayama performed and caused a stir. Here's why. Glastonbury. I wrote this next song because I was sick and tired of these microaggressions. So tonight, this goes out to a white man that watches ghetto gathers and mocks Asian people on a podcast. He also owns my masters. Let's go! 
Tapley. So Pop Quiz Dave, what uh, tune is that that she has sampled for that song? She, it's her song STFU, but she has sampled Blind by Corn. That's correct. Which are you ready? Are you ready? Yeah, it's incredible, uh, and I love that. Uh, and I like her. She actually closed maybe that song or another song with uh, by doing Break Stuff by Limp Bizkit. She's bringing back new metal. I cannot go against this person. She is cool as fuck. She is cool as fuck. And I've seen her live, and it's great. I want to see her live. She was even good in John Wick 4. But, quiz question answer, by the way. Recent quiz. No encore quiz. Congratulations, Ara. Um, This whole thing obviously went viral because she called it Matty Healy and said that, you know, he, he owns my masters. Like, I'm confused by some of this because, I mean, like I say, you know, first of all, I think you can support... Rina Sawayama and still think that some of this was cringe as fuck, which I think it kind of was. Like, I, I don't, I, I think any kind of badass intro that contains the phrase, I'm tired of these microaggressions is just, I'm sorry, it's a bit eye to me. Not, I'm not saying that she's no reason to be upset. She yeah. does. She's basically making the point that Maddie Healy, you know, to go back to that podcast on which Asian accents were mocked, he didn't do an impression, but he did egg the guys on. We've talked about this in the podcast to death. I'm not supporting any of that, of course. But I just thought that this was a weird combination of like, I don't know. Like it was like, uh, I don't quite get it. I, I I understand if you're pissed off, you have a right to be. She says that Mandy Healy owns her masters. This I, is what I don't understand. This does he, does he have a label that so paid for her? There's a label like, called Dirty Hit. Dirty Hit, yeah. Which was started by a guy called Jamie O'Born because basically he was a friend of the band 975, and they couldn't get a, a deal, so he made a label called mm. Dirty Hit and signed 975 for twenty pounds or something. And obviously that's grown, of course. Um, and she's on Dirty Hit. I think in January of this year, the members of 975 became shareholders in the company that runs the record label. I don't know, I haven't verified this, there's reports that Matty Healy stepped down from that recently in the wake of some of the controversy that's surrounding him. Don't know if that's true. But if it is, even if it isn't, I don't quite get this. You're on the label. Of course, they own your masters because you're on the label. Like, yeah. like you've signed a deal, you know, I don't understand. I don't, I don't know if this is a bit. Like, I don't, it could be. I don't know. It could be a bit. I don't know. There's now. Like, he's been on. I think a song of hers and stuff. Don't know the full story. Um, if it is a case of she wants to get off that label and she's genuinely pissed off at Matty Healy and she does think he's a racist, then okay. more power to you. Yeah. Uh, of course, absolutely, and fair enough. Maybe saying this at Glastonbury was the way to communicate that to the press and make a story out of it. It did, of course, become a story. Has she, has she said this before? Because I felt not like to I, my knowledge. All right, okay. I could be wrong, but I haven't seen it. This felt like it came out of nowhere. Yeah, and I don't fully understand if it was just some stunt. I don't know. I really don't know. Um, I thought it was just kind of like, okay, that's interesting, and kind of out of nowhere. Did she commit with Elton John? Was she there? She did. She sang "Don't Go Breaking My Heart." That's huge for her. Yes, and also Kiki D is still alive. <laughs> Like, he's probably sitting at home being like, what? Yeah, we'll be asked to do this. We'll we'll close with Elton John in just a second. Any thoughts on the Rina Sawayama situation? I don't know anything. I don't know what's going on. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of joking about the microaggressions line, which is like (sighs) very office speak to be brought into a situation where what, you know, she probably wanted to say was a lot bluer than that or whatever. And it's probably true. I don't know. He seems like a scumbag to me, to be honest. Um, from everything, for the little that I know about him and his music, everything I've heard about him is pretty much negative. Um, including him and his music is also negative. There are lots of great 975 songs. I won't have this, well, this crazy talk. This is LDR 
versus of course, 1975. Yeah. So, hey, listen, it's all subjective at the end of the day, isn't it? You're right, it is. <laughs> Didn't think about that. Anyway. Um, I saw some people say that, you know, oh, even criticizing her use of the phrase microaggressions is in and of itself racist. I'm like, I don't agree with that either. Like, I mean, like, I, I obviously support if she's in a situation that she's under duress, of course, you know, like fucking hopefully she gets out of that. Mm-hmm. I think you can support the cause and still criticize the delivery system. I, I just think on a microphone during a, during what was otherwise for me quite a badass moment oh, with that, cool, badass, that yeah. cool song kicking in, fucking unreal. I just think the phrase, I'm tired of these microaggressions was a bit eye-rolly. That's all, a bit cringeworthy. Yeah. But it doesn't matter I think what I think. people are in agreement with that. It doesn't, uh, I mean, again, it could be part of the way of getting more airtime, you know, and trying to highlight the fact that Maddie Healy is a scumbag. And look, and anything that results in people, more people listening to Rina Sawayama is a good thing, of course, in yes. my opinion. And I guess that will also happen based off, the, I, I, in fact, I think there is a report that between this and the Elton John appearance, like, listener, like, streams. Stock has risen, yeah. Yeah, stock has risen online in terms of people streaming it. Uh, Elton John drew the biggest crowd of the festival history, possibly. The ratings were strong. I didn't watch any of it. Did you watch all of it? Watched all of it. Was it amazing? It was class. Okay. Elton John um, did a thing that I often talk about in, in a sort of a bit of a pub game, which is if you were to bring, I'm going to refer to the layman I referred to earlier as, um, if you were to bring this layman off the street, not a big music fan, and were to bring them to a concert, I think you could have brought them to Elton John and they would have known pretty much every single song. It was just like such a flex in terms of back catalogue some songs into other songs is like I can't believe he actually you know you'd be like after Tiny Dancer probably bought myself a bit of credit to do a new song but it was like Tiny Dancer into some other massive hit and was just kept going and you know no almost knew every single word of the entire set it was at the sort of the sort of career retrospective that is just unbelievable Elton John such a pimp I think he's amazing hasn't quite got the voice anymore but God love him it doesn't matter the songs are really really speak for themselves so who were the special guests again did you enjoy Brandon Flower's um, game show host look that he has now <laughs> uh, yeah selling a monorail to all of Somerset that's the one yeah, um, sorry. Uh, he didn't sound great actually he didn't and, sound and great and I'm, I'm a Dancer. big I'm a big yes big fan of both Tiny Dancer and and, and Brandon Flowers. Um the first guy he brought out was an absolute joke he brought out someone I've never heard of who I can't think. His surname is Sanchez, I believe. Some guy he heard on the radio and he was like, I want to give this young person a chance. And I was like, oh my God, who's it going to be? And no one in the crowd knew who he was, as far as I could tell. And the guy spoke on microphone for about two minutes. And with with the deadlines and, and, and cut-off times in mind, he was soaking it up. As he walked off stage after singing his terrible song, he like fist-bumped himself to no one, <laughs> thinking it was his uh, Star is Born moment. Um, but other than that, I think the um, the guest stars were pretty cool. Sorry, that he wasn't the first. The first he brought out a choir to do. Can't remember what song. Anyway, it it was really good. Yeah, and is there anyone I'm forgetting? It was the George Michael tribute. George Michael tribute. They didn't have someone sing for him. They used the original vocal, I guess. Uh, no, they didn't. I thought they were going to do that. But they had him on the video wall they or something. Had, it, it would have been his 60th birthday, I think, as well. And yeah, I think that might have been wrong. I think it was actually his 60th birthday the following day. Okay. Um, or at least I saw him, I saw people wishing him a happy birthday on 
Twitter on Monday, or maybe they were wrong. I'm yeah. not sure. Nonetheless, love George Michael. RIP. And that song, that duet in particular, is one of the greatest moments in music history, I believe. Yeah, it's amazing. Lastly, uh, what's your go-to Elton John karaoke song? Um, I have two. I have sang Goodbye Yellow Brick Road on numerous occasions, and I have sang Tiny Dancer. Uh, actually, no, I didn't sing Tiny Dancer at karaoke. I sang it at a wedding last year. And yeah, so the answer is Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, which has the lyric horny back toad in it, which is a great <laughs> thing to for people to realise is actually the lyric on the song when you see it on screen. Would you do one of I Want Love? I Want Love. That's a great one. You know that song? Robert Downey Jr. in the video? No. It's a fucking awesome song. When's that from? Oh God, it's like, I want to say mid to late 2000s. No. It's really, don't really, know that. it's a lovely song. Okay. From a movie or anything? From no, Danger? He's just so. in the music video. Yeah. And it was kind of before he was, you know, Marvel and, you know, like signed off kind of guy. There was, I, I do have to say, there was great VT of him beforehand. I didn't really realize this about him. Kind of just thought he lived in an ivory tower, but that one of the BBC hosts went to his house a couple of days before Glastonbury to do an interview with him and was in his record room, which is. From what I could tell from the video, about the size of this studio we're in, for people who don't know what the size of this studio is, I would say medium to big size room. And he was talking about how much he loves collecting records and how much he loves collecting specifically new records. Because he's like, I don't go back and listen to music. I kind of take it in and then it's done. So I just keep constantly listening to new music and buying new records. And he had some of the sexiest speakers I've ever seen walls full of records and the most 120 euro Argos record player I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I was like, I was Bromley trying, I, I was trying to, it was a Samson and it was one of those ones you can tell is like boasts having a USB connection for uh, digitizing <laughs> your vinyl. And I was like, how does this guy not have one of these like earthquake proof you know, 5,000 euro vintage, yeah. you know. You can see all the gears and everything. Yeah, yeah. But no, it was this thing that had like LEDs on it. <laughs> All right. And that's our recap of a festival that neither of us went to. Uh, and now that this podcast is going to be two and a half hours long, let's jump into our top five, shall we? There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. It's top five time, everybody. It's top five spotlight stealers, as discussed earlier in the episode. This is an instance in which somebody from the band who isn't the lead singer, the front man or front woman, jumps in front of the microphone and gets their moment to shine, uh, as recorded in the annals of music history. David Tapley, our beloved guest, I would request that you kick us off. Okay. And in 
classic Zara Hedman fashion, I'm going to try and do a impeccable transition. And I would say that if you were to listen to this podcast from start to finish, you would be finishing it after hours. One, two, three. If you close the door, the night could last forever. Leave the sun shine out and say hello to never. All the people are dancing and they're having such fun. I wish it could happen to me. But if you close the door, I'd never have to see the day again. And that was After Hours by The Velvet Underground off their third album, The Velvet Underground. And that is sung by drummer Maureen, a.k.a. Mo Tucker. Um, they're a band who have a few singers, um, mainly the main person, not the other one, the main one being Lou Reed, um, who has who sings on 90% of the songs. There's also my favourite guy, who sings on another half of the songs, John Cale. But I don't think I would consider him to be a rare other one spotlight stealer. This is what this is kind of the parameters that I'd set myself as being oh a surprising jump in here from Maureen Tucker to sing this one. And I think it's a beautiful song, a song that Lou Reed wrote and uh was trying to do an old style Tim Pan Alley sort of click your fingers sort of song and he, he thought he couldn't sing it. So when he asked Mo to sing it, he he realized that was the only way the song could be done and think it's a it's a it's a perfect song a perfect ditty i don't want to say a little song but it does it sounds like a little perfect little song but that's i think exactly what he was going for what's um, wrong with a little song there's nothing wrong with a little song but it just sounds a bit mean to say when you say singing your little songs is it Reed? but um <laughs> uh yeah an album that i think is one of the more challenging velvet underground albums to listen to and that's a, a great respite on uh what is otherwise a very sort of real for the heads Velvet Underground album but uh, yeah do you are you a fan of this band David? See this is the part where I confess the awful truth that I've just <laughs> never had a moment with this band obviously really? obviously you know you can't you can't not be aware of, of who they are and you can't not have heard XYZ but yeah. like I don't it, it, to use my beloved phrase blind spot sure I just never did I just you, never took to it I never did tried did you watch really the Todd Haynes film documentary? no I didn't actually which is also called I think it's just called The Velvet Underground um that would be, you know, sometimes I'll be like, I'll make you a playlist, but that would be a great film to watch that would get you excited by this band, I think. What uh, is it that you like about this band? Um, they have a very interesting dynamic. They are one of these bands who have gone through quite a few um, lineup changes and also sort of genre changes. Their first record, which is called Velvet Underground and Nico, um, which is mainly the, the study of this of this film, was... The the famous line was penned, uh, I don't know who actually said it, but not everyone heard Velvet Underground, but everyone who did went out and formed a band. And I think that's, it, it's very true. They have sort of, probably their name has been printed on more bands, PR, cited as an influence than almost any other, I'd say, in the, in the rock world. Um, and they can do so many different things from these sludgy 15 minute guitar freakouts like European Sun or um, 
Black Angel Death song. You like the sound of that? that? Sounds pretty cool. Sounds pretty cool. Kind of song. Kind of sounds like a uh, like like the song title. And then they can do songs like this, like After Hours, that sound like perfectly written pop songs, or Sunday Morning, the first song on Velvet Underground and Eco, which you may or may not have heard. Um, like I'm more familiar with Cat Power's cover of "I Found a Reason," yes, which I think is beautiful. Yeah, but I think I heard that before I heard the original because yeah. it was in V for Vendetta or something. Right? Okay, used, yeah. quite, used quite lovely, I, I, that, lovingly in that movie. I think they're also the fact that they are so sort of influential in in their in their scope. They're a heavily covered band, so they're they're probably. I, I'm going to guess and say there's a Moldy Peaches cover of this song, probably. Oh God, or yeah. I thought uh, I, 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 I didn't think it was them as far, but I was like, this is a very fucking Moldy Peaches. Yeah, me. well, the Velvet Underground did it first, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I think a, a great example of this exact thing—a moment for someone else other than Lou Reed to step into the spotlight and and perform what I think is a. It's a perfect pop song. Before we move to my number five, I can let you leave without asking the question of what do you think about the time when Lou Reed brought uh, four metalheads into the spotlight and the Lou Reed and Metallica collab. Where do you stand on that? I've never listened to You've it. You've never listened no. to it? Oh, no, oh, Lulu, oh, right? Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. yeah, Lulu. 90 minutes of uh, pure bliss. So I've, heard no, it's not. so I've heard from some Velvet Underground heads that it's good. It's good music. I'm not going to have this. Uh, Are they just saying that because Lou Reed's in it? Well, I think there's, there's Lou Reed is kind of one of those guys. You've never heard any of it? No. How, okay, well, before you leave the studio, I'm going to play it for you. But that's I'm okay. Some of it for you. No, that's all right. No, um, no, no. Wait, have to have it. <laughs> I, I, I think he Lou Reed is, is the table. He's probably one of those guys who's like, there, prob- there is no bad Lou Reed. There's only interesting Lou Reed. Like it's a, Metal it, machine music, yeah. It's yeah. There's, there's, there's lots of weird stuff that that people do and they don't have the sort of character to pull it off but he certainly does he's a very interesting man was a very interesting man rest his rest his mortal soul but uh i i will be listening to that at my nearest convenience i would say okay uh for my number five and for further convenience i i'm curious to learn of your opinion on this band like feel like it's negative but maybe i'm just <laughs> projecting and i want to see if you don't know who this is i want to see if you can guess who this is based on the one time someone else sang here we go Do you know what that is? No ideas. The, the, Adam, you can't put your hand the, up. I, I sent you the clip. Yeah, I know, but I do have a... I, like, can you guess what city that was made in? Or what New era? York? No. <laughs> Not Cork? even close. No. Cork? Uh, I feel like I know the sound of that band from the instrumental side of it, but I it's, can't... It's a bit of an outlier, I think. I mean, beyond the vocals, but not a huge one. No, no guesses? No. Big band from the 90s. Oasis. Pearl Jam. Really? This okay, is, that makes perfect sense. It's so sense. Seattle. Like, it sounds yeah. so Seattle to and me. And also, yeah. they so just very Pearl Jam chord changes there that I probably should have gotten. And lovely drum sounding. Yeah. Lovely room sounding drums. Pearl Jam. The song is called Mankind. And it is uh, the spotlight stolen in this case by Stone Gossard. Album? No Code, their fourth album. I had that growing up, yeah. Or my brother had that growing up, and it's not kind not one of, I listened to all that it, much. I know the album cover with yeah. all the individual pictures yes. on it. Yeah, yeah. And the drummer was Jack Irons, I think, on that one, um, who replaced Dave Arbuzzi. Yeah. Um, so it's a weird album. 
I followed Vitalogy, which was also a weird album, but like this was like this is coming after the Ticketmaster boycott and mm-hmm. you know, which almost killed their career in a way. Um they tried to take down Ticketmaster, it didn't work. Um the music on the album is a bit more diverse than it had been previously, and it's a bit all over the place. Like I don't quite even know why this is on here. Like, I mean, like it's not like, you know, Eddie was passing the mic around sure. any better. Um, it, it, the album like went to number one when it came out, but it kind of fell down the charts. Critics weren't mad at all, and there was like all kinds of tension within the band at the time. Like their bass player Jeff Ament wasn't didn't even know that they were recording the album until three days into the sessions, <laughs> and said that he <laughs> quote wasn't super involved with the record on any level. Uh, Mike McCready, nah, that can happen. Other guitarist said, "I'm sure Jeff was pissed, but it's more about separating because if we all played together, nothing would get done. We'd all get pissed off at each other." Uh, Jeff Mann apparently stormed out of the recording sessions at one stage and considered quitting the band due to Eddie Vedder's control of the creation process, which is weird that Eddie Vedder would be like, here you go, Stone, do a song, which is Mankind that we hear here. It's kind of, it's it's, it's a throwaway rock song. Like, it's, it, I like it, but it's just got a weird placement. And I do remember vividly, <clears> like, you know, devouring Pearl Jam in my youth and getting to this track and being like, that's not Eddie Vedder. Yeah. Because they're not the kind of band to really kind of do this kind of stuff. This is the first time that a member other than Vetter contributed lyrics. You know, like Stone Gossard wrote this song pretty much entirely by himself almost. Um, there's a quote here. So like the lyrics are ironic in that he is doing some imitating of his own apparently. Like uh, at the time I was feeling very frustrated and I wasn't feeling as connected to the songwriting process as I did on the first two records. He told the AV Club. It was a time when the experimental gloves had come out and if we were going to experiment I wanted to as well. So that was my experiment that I could write a pop song and I could sing it and it could be halfway legit. Like, it's a decent song. I, I just think its very existence is, is is weird. Like, I don't really understand what it, like, where it fits in the Pearl Jam canon. Because it's not like with each passing album, we'd get, like, the other Pearl Jam person yes. stepping up. It just felt like a weird... I, I feel it's kind of reflective of just, like, the band kind of being in a weird transitional period, I think, and not quite knowing where they were going and what they were doing. I, I wonder... How quickly after Vitalogy? Vitalogy, Vitalogy? Vitalogy was 94. Yeah. This was 96, I think. And then like... And you're probably on the road for pretty much two years in between those. I think Yield comes out Mm -hmm. in 98, possibly, and then Binaural in 2000. Like, very prolific band. Yeah. And Yield is a fucking fantastic album. Yield and Binaural, I think, are two great records. They're brilliant, The answer to your maybe pre... Do you hate them? No, I, lo- I love Pearl Jam. Because you're a big Nirvana guy. So I just... Yeah, I think I think 10 puts them in, in a bad stead with a lot of people because it's got a very dated sound. And it's full of Jarl. And it's full of Jarl. Can you, can you give me an idea better Jarl? That's pretty good. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. Uh, Edward Louis Severson Third, as I like to call him. Oh, of course. Nice um, Twin Peaks reference there. Thank you. Uh... Yeah, no, I think I think ten, ten, which is an album I'd never really go back to, except for if I want to put on a absolute banger at a house party or something like that. <laughs> but an album, uh, an album that unfortunately casts a very long shadow over the rest of their career, and I think people kind of scoff at the idea of listening to their middle career. Like, I don't know if I'd call that grunge. I, I, I don't know if I would have identified that as being a Seattle-sounding thing. I think definitely by the time Yield comes out, they definitely become more of a rock band. Yeah. Like a kind of a straight-up rock band. Like mm. Given to Fly, which is an amazing song. It's not really a grunge song, is it? No. It's a rock radio song. Or Do The Evolution or any of those sort of things. Great song. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Breaker Fall and Binaural and kind of like, you know, yeah, like, like I don't know. They're a band that I, I, I will say, I fucking, I loved this band so much. Mm-hmm. I'm, they were all I would listen to for a while. And then I just kind of got over it. And now I'm like, yeah, I like Pearl Jam. I've still never seen them live, which seems insane to I me. I saw Eddie Vedder live once at the 
furthest away possible seats in the point and he played solo acoustic so not, not a great way to see him uh but it was lo- i think i've told you about this before it tell was, me again it was around the time of the um was it the election just before brexit and he sang jeremy spoke about class today <laughs> referring to jeremy corbyn of course wow uh and yeah the crowd went absolutely bonkers when he said when he dropped that we dropped that truth bomb on us. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, can you drop your uh, fourth, as in chronologically speaking, spotlight stealing bomb? I'm going to do exactly the same as I did last time and say that if you started listening to this episode of No Encore late in the day, it would be in the AM that you would finish it. And that is the album that this next song comes off. AM. There's a whole lot of money that you. That is, it's just that simple by the band Wilco off their debut album, AM. So this is uh, the the other guy, the spotlight stealer in this situation, is bass player John Stirrett, um, who I don't think sings any other songs in the oeuvre, uh, except for this one. So it's a real spotlight stealer. I think that this is a frequent live um, song for them. So he does still get to steal the spotlight every now and then uh, when they do perform this. Uh, it was the first album after the dissolution of um, Jeff Tweedy and uh, Jay Farrar's previous band, Uncle Tupelo, who were a very uh, influential, quote-unquote, alt-country band in the um, Illinois-Chicago sort of area. Um, they were massive, massive sort of cult following, and they broke up over creative differences, which is a frequent thing that happens in in the Wilco sort of story of people kind of coming and, and, and going in the in the um the Wilco family. But uh John Stewart has been a, a day one guy. He was he was in Uncle Tupelo um for for a period and then was brought along on the, the sort of Wilco journey. Um and this is one of the tunes on their first record when they were still kind of in that very as you can hear from that very kind of country music Graham Parsons, birdsy, 70s country sort of sound. And uh, yeah, a very me pick, I, I think well, you would admit. <laughs> to be fair, like I was hoping that, obviously I'm hoping for like a crossover in general, but I was like, I know Tapley's going to have a, you know, a, a genre or like a, a style and aesthetic that I, I just mm-hmm. don't know that well and don't have that much. And so, I, you know, especially, you know, in this current era of No Encore, having guests on each week, yes. I want to be... You know, like pick something I wouldn't fucking pick. There you go. Well, that like, is one. So yeah, so like we'll go again. This this could very well be a pattern, but you know, blind spot territory once again for Dave. Okay. Certainly, obviously, I'm very very aware of them, but yeah. just never did that thing. Just never. They're they're playing a show in the Throlimpia Theatre in September, I believe. So a perfect opportunity for you to um, shine a light on that. Blind go into spot. a go, in, go into a band that, with a massive back catalogue that I'm unfamiliar <laughs> with, and you know, just hope I have a good time. Um, yeah, why not? Take that's a punt a, on Wilco? Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a, 
that's a lock. That's you, my lock of the week. You know me. Do <laughs> well, you, do you think I'd actually have a good time? Okay, I'll do exactly what I said the last time again and say there's a great film about them that might help you get in a foot in the door in the. Happy knows my love language. Yeah, it's movies. Yeah, because he gets to log them on Letterboxd. <laughs> I'll have you know yes. that that's half the reason for watching it. Yeah, film. Sorry, 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 speaking of Letterboxd, do you want to tell the world what you did on Letterboxd recently? <laughs> oh, my, I will say, I didn't like it out of principle, okay? <laughs> tell the world. Um, so, for people who don't know... Letterboxd is a film diary app in which you can log films. Yes, and give them a rating. And um, write a little blurb. And write a little... If you want to. A little review to. or a little blurb. Dave Higgins never does. He, he just you, stars it up. No, he doesn't. Um, sometimes the only thing he'll write is just a link to a review he's done on a different website. Which is now dead which and you can't time. actually access anything. Which is things. a great shame. Yeah. Uh, one of the great shames of this world. Um, basically, I um, did a review of a film that I did not watch, which is a film called The Godfather Part 2. little independent film little of The Godfather film, Part 2. Uh, yes. Uh, it's about religion, is it? Yes, it's about my godfather. Um, <laughs> part two. Specifically. Part two. Yeah, second film. And, <laughs> second godfather. And uh, I did... So if you're writing a review and you, your review might contain a spoiler, you can click on a little button that will put a spoiler warning up um, and, you, and, and it kind of blurs out the review and you have to kind of click into it to do it. So I, I reviewed The Godfather Part 2 and gave it the princely score of 1.5 out of 5 that I thought would titillate some followers of mine on Letterboxd to click in. Uh, do you have the review to hand there, Dave? Yeah, I'm, I'm dialing it up now. On, on and the old, when you click past the spoiler alert warning... On the old information superhighway that I have here on David Tapley's Letterboxd account, just two seconds. Uh, yes, I was, I was aghast. So you click into it, hit the spoiler, and it says, Apologies. This is simply to draw your attention to the fact that I released a new single today that you can stream here on Spotify. Pre-order my second album here on Bandcamp. Thanks for being so gullible, Loveheart. You got 18 likes. Did I actually? Which is pretty big for Letterboxd, I will say. I th- I, Amazing. I thought it was great. I didn't even think I had 18 followers on, on Letterboxd. I thought it was very bold, yeah. but I thought it was Thank great. You. You, got, you, you got some no-encore favourites in here. You got like Zara Hedeman, Mark Conroy, Dave Higgins... And uh, I'm, not, Sims. I'm not going to like it because I I, 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 I I was got. You got me. <laughs> so ask the question you want to ask. What's the question I want to ask? About Godfather Part 2. Uh, do you think it's one and a half out of five? I've never seen it. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. Well, now I feel on, on, on an even keel here because I haven't listened to Wilco. You've seen, you've seen the first one, I assume. I've you? seen the first one. Um, it, it, it's so a, what I tried to do... Hot take. It's a good film. It's, it's a very good film. Yeah. I think I might have given it four and a half. Uh, can maybe, I, maybe even five. While we're on this letterbox detour, yes. Can I just read out? Uh, this is obviously wildly self-indulgent, but I, I, I feel like it's worth a mention. It's a music podcast, you know. I talked about stuff on this all the time. Can I just uh, read out like uh, some of a review I wrote today? Far ahead. So I went to see a film called Past Lives today. Okay. It's not out until September, but they were doing like a screening. It's a Korean film. A bit of hype about it, and I was really you know, made by. Um, it's a first-time director. Her name is Celine Song. And it's um, she's Korean Canadian, and uh, this is uh, a high anticipated romantic drama. And I knew it was going to be you know sad, mm. but I was like, oh class! I was like, I want, to, I'm dying to see this now for months, and I got the chance to go see it, so I went to go see it. And this is a true story of what happened. So, as I say here in this in this thing that I wrote earlier on today, five minutes into the film, it cut to a scene where "Hey, That's No Way to Say Goodbye" by Leonard Cohen was playing, <laughs> the very song that played at the close of my father's cremation ceremony. Oh, God. Of all the songs in the world to anticipate in the establishing moments of a delicate Korean art house drama, I mean, it rocked me. Uh, I like to think of it him as playing a trick on me. Yes. And it got me good. And I swear, I, I was completely 
completely taken out of the film for a oh second. I, I actually was like, am I having a psychotic break? Like, <laughs> is this like, actually playing? Is this real? I was yeah. like, how? <laughs> turned turn to the person next to you and they said, psst. I was, I was like, like, I, I, when I got home, I actually looked it up. I was like, did I Did I imagine that? Have I actually hit that point where I, like, I'm so consumed? Oh my God. <laughs> but, uh, but at the same time, I was like, you know, you see the funny side of these things. And I like to think that it was some kind of weird, you know, cosmic thing. Yeah. Wonderful film, by the way. Yeah. Score? Four and a half out of five. Go. That's great. You're, having a, you're having a great time with these uh, first time Korean directors lately, aren't you? There was Am another, I? There was a Return one. to Seoul? Yeah. That's great. Yeah, That's a great fucking seen. movie. Uh, great score in this past lives thing by Grizzly Bear, by the way. Oh, really? So there you go. Oh. So I'm keeping it on the music kill. Uh, anything else about Wilco? <laughs> before we move on? Uh, great bands. Godfather part one of bands, apparently. <laughs> I think it's just called The Godfather. <laughs> Wait, when are you going to watch Godfather Part 2? Um, I've, I've already seen it, 1.5. Right, okay. okay. <laughs> Read my review on Letterboxd. Um, number four for me, <laughs> Spotlight Stealers, is this one. everybody it's queens of the stone age and it's uh it's from it's the opener isn't it from songs for the deaf from 2002 i mean it's your pick you should know right i happen to have uh, i was you texting someone, i was texting someone during the thing okay? ladies and gentlemen you, the mask has slipped can I, can I try and guess the title yes of please do you think I ain't worth a dollar, but I feel like a millionaire. Is that what it's called? That is correct. Brackets, everything brackets up to the word millionaire. No, you're correct. Uh, but uh, there was a comma in there, but I'll let you away with it. You think I ain't worth a dollar, but I feel like a millionaire. Uh, Nick Oliveri, the uh, subsequently fired bass yes. player from the band, um, who also on this album performs on Six Shooter, Gonna Leave You, and Another Love Song. But this is the opener, and this is amazing. And yeah, look, I don't want to venerate Queen's Stone too much, because, you know, Nick Oliveri left that band in a very bad cloud of all kinds of horrible allegations. Josh Homme has some horrible allegations about him uh, against him at the moment, so, you know. But this was my moment with Queen's of the Stone Age, when I fell deeply in love with them. I was kind of into them slightly before this. I didn't just come in off the No One Knows bandwagon. Yes. I was already there. Right, or... or um Era Vulgaris or one of these. Ratador is the second album, and the first one I think is just called Queens of the Stone Age. Maybe possibly. so. I don't know the first one too well. Era Vulgaris is after. Yes. This. And I kind of jumped off around that point. I, mean, I still, you know, like I, I wouldn't. Like they just released a new album there a week or two ago. I haven't heard it. I haven't heard Villains. You know, I haven't yeah. really listened to their new stuff in a long time. But this was the summer of Queens of the Stone Age. They were fucking everywhere. No one knows it was huge. It was being played in like Drawden nightclubs. Like I was like, what's happening? This it's it's got the it's got that thing of being a hard rock heavy metal song, but also having the terrace, you know, do, 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 aspect to it, which um, yeah, the football hooligan kind yeah. of esque chant. There's, there's 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 plenty of especially songs from around this era. I feel like were riff heavy that could that could hold that sort of um the sort of yearning of that of of the of the terrace the terrace vocalist to be able to sing and um. Yeah, not this one. No, not this song. I don't think you could. <laughs> don't think you could sing along to this one too easy, I, or scream along to. Yeah, but I was just so plugged into this, and I remember very vividly like hearing this for the first time, possibly in like a local music store where they would let you listen to the start of a new song. Um, and I, you know, I was all in anyway. But I, I think I remember just throwing it on and being just blown away by. It. I love everything about it. You know, the kind of the fake radio thing, the taking the piss out of the radio hits, and even the sound of the car door opening and closing. I think it's incredible. It's just such a shot in the arm. 
Uh, it's like a really incredible bolt of adrenaline, a great rock song. And it was the peak of the time when I was mad into the band. And I remember vividly, they I had a show in The Ambassador and I got a ticket for it and the ticket sold out. My friend was supposed to get one, didn't get one. And I was left with this ticket to like the most sold out gig ever. Yeah. And I remember people in school offering me like a hundred quid for the ticket or something. <laughs> and I wouldn't sell it. And I was like, no, I'm going to go on my own. And I went, I went to go on my own. And Andrada, I went to get the Could bus. Have still sold it and got on your own, right? Or was it a seated ticket? Well, how would I? It was, I only had one ticket. Oh, sorry. I thought you said your friend had. No, well, no. My friend was supposed to get a ticket, but didn't. Oh, so by the time you went you. to get one, it gotcha. sold out. So I was left on my own with like one ticket, yes. and I was like, "Fucking, I'm going to go." And I turned down offers, all that kind of stuff, and I was like, "No, I'm going to go." So on the day of the gig, I think it was a Monday, and I remember going to the bus station in Drada, and there was like biblical downpour of rain, like insane, like f- like fire hydrants bursting, drains overflowing proper like you know cascading water in the roads and I remember waiting there for a bus and it just wasn't happening nothing was happening no bus eventually after a long time a bus shows up driver gets off and I was like Are you, is this bus going to Dublin and the driver you know very unpolitely was like this bus isn't fucking going anywhere go home so I was like I can't go to the gig and I walked home in the rain with tears in my eyes oh man ticket went to waste never saw them that's awful. That's my Queen haven't of the Stone Age story. Haven't since seen them. No, never. I'm, no, I'm nowhere. That was the that was the height. I, mm. I've never been as like that. that it, it was a, it was this album. It was this kind of song. It was this kind of drug of everything. That was the my that was the peak of my interest in this band, and I just it just faded away. Those first three albums, and then I just kind of didn't really care again. Yeah. So that's uh, that's my number four, baby. I did see them around the time of. Oh, I can't think of the name of the album now. Before I have the discography if you would Go like. On. Hang on now, one so, moment. Okay. One with the dot 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 in it. Queens, uh, Queens of the Stone Age is the first album. Queens of the Stone Age. Rated or. Rated or. Songs for the Deaf. Correct. Era Vulgaris. Wrong. Lullabies to Paralyze. Oh, yeah. Um, Era Vulgaris followed that in 2007. And. Uh, villains, is it? No, no. Before one. Villains, there's one in between. No, it I, is the one that Tapley is talking about. I have no clue. In. Wrong. <laughs> of. Wrong. It the new one. The, <laughs> the new one is called In Times New Roman. That's what I was uh, like Clockwork. Like Clockwork. Oh, yeah. yeah, Jesus. Two thousand thirteen. Yeah, I just didn't keep up with them. Um, I I, I kind of you know I was like yeah I've, I've jumped onto this kind of desert rock thing like, for a little like bit. Like Clockwork has a good few tunes on it. There's one that Elton John actually sings back and vocals on called Fairweather Friend or Friends. You know he's on a Fallout Boy album, don't you? Elton John. Yeah. Fuck, I did yeah. not know that. Save rock and roll. I like. Uh, I think Guilty pleasure. I think even, a poor even album that, even though I hate that term I think a poor album I reviewed that album for stage that aforementioned dead website I I've heard that Fall Out Boy have redone We Didn't Start to Fall they never, did I'll never listen to it as long as I live with a new stories between the years of something and something I never saw the album I want to hear it ever again I think there's a line that someone put up and it's something like you know it's I think it says like World Trade Second Plane or something I'm like you know what no <laughs> oh no anyway in the interest <laughs> of the podcast World Trade Second Plane something something Kurt Cobain not I think being four hours it. long Tappy can you move us along please I certainly can I think I might have run out of transitions between um, standard talking and the next song so I'm just going to say hit it Heralds of me and a flashing marquees out on Main Street Chicago, New York Detroit and it's all on the same street a typical city involved in a typical daydream Hang it up and see what tomorrow brings Dallas got a soft machine in Houston Too close to New Orleans New York got the ways and means And just won't let you be 
Uh, so that is uh, a song called Truckin, T-R-U-C-K-I-N, apostrophe, by a band called Grateful Dead. Grateful Dead, not The Grateful Dead, um, off their 1970 album American Beauty. And it is sung by rhythm guitarist and classic other guy, uh, Bob Weir. So uh, Grateful Dead are a band that I don't know if you uh, have ever effed with. You've, uh, did, like, did you do a thing where you were like, if Arsenal don't win the league, I will commit my life to being a Grateful Dead fan? No, I said if Arsenal don't win, if Arsenal do win the league, I would get a Grateful Dead tattoo. Okay. Because when things started to go pear-shaped for Arsenal and I couldn't listen to sports podcasts anymore, I started listening to a great context-filled Grateful Dead podcast called 36 from the Vault. Um, See, I have it in my head that you got into this band on a lark. No, it was just, I needed something that wasn't related to football. In answer to your question, no, I have not gone near this band. Well... Deliberately. Deliberately. Just enough. because I'm just like, I just feel like I'm like, I, I, I know I won't get it. Well, if you, if you, if you have issues with like dauntingly large uh back catalogues or whatever. I really do. This is one that's like, it's not even that they have that many albums, but the main sort of thing to get into is like listening to, you know, live records and mainly like audience recordings. The fact that you have a a companion piece of a a very granular sounding podcast. Yes. (laughs) 36 episodes long, one on each uh, volume of this 36 album bootleg series all like not properly mixed or mastered, all straight recorded from the desk onto two track, like whatever quarter inch tape. And they just were put out from the 90s onwards. Whatever's there is what you get. Exactly. Yeah. So if the acoustic guitar is way too loud or if the vocals are too low, you just have to... It was meant to be like that. Move on. Yeah. Yeah. That's what was coming out of the PA. So um, anyway, this song is is kind of one of their their staple tunes sung by rhythm guitarist Bob Weir, who... um, was kind of affectionately known as the other one, Jerry Garcia, who people might know from his sort of beardy, long hair, glasses, sort of um, smiley demeanor. Was the was the the lead singer, as it were, of of Grateful Dead, and Bob Weir was often known as the other one. Um, such that fans of theirs at their gigantic concerts they used to play back in the sixties, um, seventies, and eighties and nineties. Um, some people would would kind of turn around and start to talk when Bob Weir would sing his songs. Um, of which there were nowhere near as many as the Jerry Garcia songs. But this song, anyway, is about a um, drugs bust uh, that Grateful Dead actually did quite a bit of uh, drug taking in their time. I don't know if you know that, Dave, but um, they did. Had a feeling. And um, (laughs) the lyrics refer to a drug raid at the band's hotel lodgings in New Orleans during a concert tour earlier in 1970. Busted down on Bourbon Street, set up like a bowling pin, knocked down, it gets wearing thin, they just won't let you be. Uh, That's about... A bloody war on drugs. Not the band, but the the, the self-titled war. And uh, yeah, a great song. Some very fun lyrics. Um, and uh, yeah, a wild ride of a band. Some A band I'm only really kind of coming to terms with. I've tried to get into them many times and failed many times. But this is a great gateway song. If this uh, this doesn't tickle your fancy, it's probably, it's probably not for you. But yeah. Uh, have a listen to the full tune. I think you might like I it. I didn't hate it. Okay, for you... For you <laughs> you I, didn't hate the 35 seconds you heard, but... Uh, yeah. I listen, like, what can I say, you know? Generous man. Uh, I'll give it a go. I'll give it a go. Let's have number three for me, which I think is a, a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. Sleep tight, 
Okay, it's uh, it's Smashing Pumpkins, everybody. It's the closing track to the opus, the epic that is Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. It's Farewell and Goodnight. And yes, you did hear Billy Corgan in there, possibly in that clip. And if you didn't, he is in it. But so is the rest of the band. It's a joint effort. It's a coming together of unity and harmony and love between the band members. And the only way to close out this incredible record and that unity, harmony and love would splinter and <laughs> sour over the coming years. And by the turn of the century, I think, was it just Billy Corkin at that point? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, uh, James E. Howe, I think, left around then. Darcy Retsky left before that. Jimmy Chamberlain was, of course, famously replaced by a drum machine. He would come back, so would James. You know, it's Billy Corgan, everybody. That's kind of how he operates. Uh, do you have a Billy Corgan impression? Do no. No? no. I don't know where you got that idea. Um, I was <laughs> going to potentially put in... Uh, take me down off this record, James E. Halid vocal. Yeah, and was also thinking of uh, Daydream off the first record, Gish, which is a Darcy lead vocal. And thought Dave might pick one of those, and you actually went and picked the other potential song I was thinking of. Well, all but two songs on this album were written by Billy Corgan, and you mentioned Take Me Down, written and sung by James E. Ha, and then uh, this one was uh, written by. Solely, I think, by James Eha. Um, so, and yes, they're all on it. Uh, Billy Corgan said in a 995 interview, there are some B-sides that James did that are really good. They just don't fit in the context of the album. Part of me feels bad. But over the seven years we've been together, the least uptight part of the band has been the music. Interesting. Um, I think when the Giant Collector's Edition of this came out in 2012, there was like, there's liner notes, on, like in all the songs are like detailed so here's what Billy said about Farewell and Goodnight, the song that we've just heard. Originally penned by James, I jumped on this idea as a way to end the album appropriately while while giving a strong nod to Lost Beatles for being our existential guide. I pushed that we should all sing on it, an idea that Jimmy found appealing until he actually had to sing. What I loved about the long process of making a double album is that this was the kind of song we would never have bothered with if not for the necessity of seeking out new beginnings and, new, and endings. I'd like to think that symbolically our unity on this very last song stands as a fitting and final testament to a dream which held us in very good stead for many years. A wonderful dream that lasted long enough enough for us to even bother to document its raucous trajectory. He's great at not talking about new stuff. I've, I feel like whenever Billy Corgan talks about like the music videos from the kind of golden era of Smash Pumpkins or any of that sort of stuff, I, I think he's actually a great sort of orator and storyteller yeah, yeah. yeah but he's just I've never wanted anyone to have a comeback as much as I would love for him to just do something like really really great and he didn't well, check out the three part rock opera that just recently concluded now that everyone said it was really annoying to listen to no I did not there yeah. was another rock opera that he was doing in the mid 2000s called Tear Garden by Kaleidoscope or oh, yeah. Kaleidoscope or something that I was uh, unfinished as well by the way never the third part of it never came out um, and some of that was like, okay, this kind of sounds like Melancholy and Infinite Sadness, but updated. Well, how do you feel about, about Melancholy and, and this song? I think it's great. I love this song. It's Beautiful a great way song. to close an album. I think I could probably make a 14-song album out of these songs and make a better record, but I kind of think that about pretty much every double album. Um, and like that, maybe if they had the idea to do a single album, they wouldn't have stumbled upon these sort of we need to actually finish off side eight of the you know four vinyl uh release that we're going to do so then you kind of start to look down these strange territories and 
Yeah, I mean, if I don't like some of the songs, then I'll just skip them. It's fine. I feel like we've probably had like a pub conversation before, but like, are you on board with my headcanon of, you know, apart from the not good stuff, Billy Corgan might be the greatest songwriter of all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'd go along with that if you actually believed that statement, but anyway. You do love him, don't I you? I do love him, yeah. yeah. I adore is my favourite record, I must say. Okay. Which is, which is one for the heads. I put up um, that thing I was doing the rounds on Instagram recently where it's like, you know, screenshot your top eight most listened to songs at the moment. And mm-hmm. I, have, I have the everlasting gaze in there. Machina. Machines of God. Yeah. And someone messaged me. I don't know if they're a listener. If they are, hello. And was like, can you give me your top eight again? Because like they, they said that like, I guess maybe seeing that song made them kind of just jump on it. Maybe they hadn't heard it before, hadn't heard it enough. And they're like, I love it now. And it's like, yeah, that's like, that song to me is easy. Top five pumpkins. Like, I think yeah. it's, and I love the video. I do I love, love the video for love that the whole as well. damn thing. But this song, I, again, like, you know, this week doing this top five and thank you for suggesting it. I, I, I had some really nice moments just, just drifting off to the song, mm. shutting out the world. I think it's a perfect lullaby and that's what it should be. On they, this album. Around this time, specifically on this album, they did kind of do dream pop, folky, acoustic stuff really well. Like that Take Me Down song that was almost in my top five is an absolutely fabulous production, like closer to slow dive or some sort of shoegaze band than than any other Smash Pumpkin song and it's it's yeah it's nice to see them flex their sort of genre exercise muscles from time to time and they certainly could back then but if you if you were in a position where you had to do a Smash Pumpkins cover during a gig what would oh, you did? do? Oh did you, used, you, used you have do, done used to do Bullet for Butterfly Wings okay Bullet with Bullet with Butterfly Wings Bullet with Butterfly Wings yes used to do that back in the very early days so was it a slow down acoustic emotional number? no god no Okay. Rock rock song. Full rock. Yeah, full rock song. But now, at this stage of your journey, would it still be that? Or would it be something more tender? Oh, maybe like perfect. I was just yeah. fucking going to say, yeah. you read my mind. It would yeah. be, that's a nice one to play. It's Gorgeous got song. Kind of, kind of yeah. chords that I would do. Yeah, perfect or 1979 or one of those kind of more bubblegum pop sort of tunes that they All right. they would do. But uh, but do you have bubblegum pop at your for your runner-up this week? Um, I would say... No, I would say, would you believe, going to pivot from all the previous songs that I've picked and maybe pick something with a little bit of country influence in it? No. Yeah. Okay. And it sounds a little bit like this. That is Near Wild Heaven um, by the American rock band Rapid Eye Movement. That's um, what they're known as. <laughs> that is what they're known as. <laughs> colloquially, uh, of course. Colloquially known as, as, as R.E.M. to their friends. Um, off their seventh studio album, Out of Time, from 1991. Sung uh, dutifully, uh, lead vocals on this particular occasion are bassist Michael Mills. And uh, yeah, just a beautiful song. He, he, he he's, a, he's a good classic other one in that he you do see his thumbprint all over the sound of the band but rarely very rarely actually only on on two occasions of original material does he step to the microphone and sing um lead vocals on on studio tracks there's other covers that he's i think he does a cover of um uh 
something that I'm coming to right now. Now that I need to think of it, but uh, a couple of other OEM songs he takes lead vocals for on in in, in the live setting. But this and another song called Texarkana, um, which is actually even more country than this, would you believe? Um, which nearly made my list, of course, but didn't want to pick two of the same band. Um, yeah, just a great band. I have fought on many occasion that OEM are the greatest American rock band, um, especially to um, friend of the podcast Mark Conroy who had some wild suggestions of bands like Steely Dan and the Velvet Underground as being other possibles but uh, while I um, agree with them as being great bands I think OREM encapsulates something of American music that uh, that I find to be a particularly great thing How would you sum that up though? What what is it about that? Because again, it's a tie that gets thrown around a lot, of course, sometimes in jest, but yes. what is it that qualifies OREM for that? I think they've got... Authenticity or something, I don't no, know. No, it's not even that. I think they I think they do a sort of thing that the Beatles do, in, in, in that the Beatles might be the greatest English band uh, of all time. Uh, Scouse, not English, excuse me. Um, in that they've gone through quite a few different changes in their sound. They They always still have some sort of core... That, oh, that sounds like an OREM song to me. Um, a thing I often think of and cite myself if I'm sort of looking for inspiration in in my own music of, say, like a drum sound. I would often kind of think of um, Bill Berry's sort of wildly room-recorded, like massive snare drum overhit, you know, sort of thing that he does or or different sort of chord changes or even the idea of bringing, you know, the mandolin in as a, like a very prime instrument into their band like five albums in or whatever and then it remaining there for the entire rest of their career and then you go back and listen to some of their very 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 early work and they sound like a college rock radio punk band and you go to their later stuff and they started to get into experimentation a little bit more and and they just they they kind of have if someone says to you I don't really like R.E.M. I kind of have to say, like, which OEM don't you like? Because there's, there's, there's plenty of them. Similar to a band like Radiohead, I guess there's many different sort of guises that they take. And Any thoughts on Kira McGuinness last week uh, picking Kid A? Wild, um, wild. As um, a thing that aged badly? Yeah. I, One listener told me that uh, they nearly crashed the car <laughs> listening, or when, that, when that happened. Like, um... Uh, what Arsenal okay. player was it? Uh, Ashley Cole. <laughs> Ashley Cole. Almost crashed the car when he found out how much money he was making at Chelsea. Um, yeah. No, that was it, was. it was how much Arsenal offered him for a new deal, wasn't it? No, I thought it was, was when he end- found out what he was going to get by moving to Chelsea. I think he almost crashed the car. No, I think it was. It was he's be, he was being offered like sixty five grand a week or something, and he was so insulted. Yeah, he almost he crashed, the car. crashed the car. Yeah. Anyway, let's let, let's not talk about Ashley Cole. Let's talk about. Kid A and OEM and all these things. I think the the Kid A shout is a wild one, and while I respect the anyone's opinion, I think that that is that is one that I would like to um, argue late into the wee hours uh, in in the pub sometime. But um, that's a different story for a different day because Tom York sings that, and he's the lead vocalist of the band, not seeing the spotlight from anyone. True, because true. Because the spotlight is his. But I think that this tune is. Um, is a great one, and like the last Smashing Pumpkin song you picked, you can still hear Michael Stipe taking a, a step into the shadows and singing for once, backing vocals on, on one of the songs, so that's kind of a nice thing that happens as well. He doesn't just go off in a huff and stand at the side of the stage, he supports in the way that he's often supported by Mike Mills. That's cool. It is cool. 
Cool front man. Cool front. Um, number two for me. So you mentioned Out of Time there. Uh, there's a song called Out of Time by this band, but that is not the song I have chosen. Here is my number two. That's, uh, that's Blur kind of half miming on top of the pops and the crowd it's funny this song is Coffee and TV of course uh, it's funny because like that pop you got off the crowd they did that when Damon started singing <laughs> so it's not his song but we'll cheer for him and not Graham Coxon who's pouring his heart out in one of the great songs of the 90s I would say a song so good that they had to put it over the scene where Sarah Michelle Gellar kisses Selma Blair in Cruel Intentions <laughs> The, the the big lesbian moment of that movie that I've was not seen. was infamous. It's a good movie. Okay. It's trashy. Great fucking soundtrack, including this, of course. This is on thirteen, and uh, let's throw in a mention for Tender here because, of course, Graham Coxon does vocals on that as well. Uh, Leah Riker's favorite song, apparently. Is that right? Apparently, yeah. It's a shame because it's a really good song. What are you suggesting? That that uh, he's not a great man. <laughs> Well, I don't want to get political or anything. Too late. I think we just did, yeah. Uh, the lyrics on this uh, Coffee and TV song describe Coxon's struggle with alcoholism. And the song's video, of course, features a sentient milk carton searching for him, Lovely. which won lots of awards. Uh, where do you think that this song charted in the UK as a single? Because they're on top of the pops, which means it's in the Seven. top. Eleven. Yeah. Um, and where do you think it charted in Ireland? One. 26. Oh, but it was a major hit in Iceland, where it peaked at number two. Uh, came out in 99, of course, best year of all time. Who w- produced this song? Adam. Who produced this song? Who was the producer on this and the subsequent album, 13? Do we know? Mentioned on the show quite recently. It's hardly William Orbit, is it's it? It's William Orbit. Oh, wow. The yeah. man himself. Um, I just, Omnipresent in the 90s. I, 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 and I early two thousands. I just love this song. I, I I think it actually has really aged well. I yeah, think, it's I a great think, song. I think it sounds. I think it's a perfect pop song. But also, it's that weird thing where like it took me the longest time at the time to realize that it wasn't Damon Albarn. I don't think Graham Coxon is too far out of his register or too different. He doesn't uh, lean on the accent quite as much as Albarn does. Mm. And that, yeah, is a good thing. It's a nice change. But yeah, I I agree. He has a similar register. But it kind of almost just sounds like Damon Auburn's just singing it, down here for a song or it whatever. It fits into the kind of blurriness of it all, doesn't it? He is a classic other guy. That's actually such a good shout. Thank you. Yeah. I can't believe you didn't pick it. I can't believe I didn't just find it in my, you know, you, you, you research these things and you see the song Beth by Kiss like a hundred times. You're like, I'm not going to pick that. Um, and also, uh, Don't Fear the Reaper, apparently. Not the lead singer. Okay. Um, but yeah, Coffee and TV would have 100% been in my top five had I thought of that or found it. But uh, I didn't go to see them in Malahide Castle. did I, yeah. I didn't get stuck in transportation hell coming I out of it. I didn't even know it was on. Oh, I knew That's it was on. out of the loop I've been with these things. I, I, I went through a big blur phase, kind of passed down from my brother when I was younger. Uh, still think they're a very good band, uh, even though I'm not excited whatsoever for a new album, which mm. is coming. The Ballad of Darren, as we know. That's what it's called. Darren. That's what it's called. Who's Darren. I don't know. I assume all will be revealed on the album. Yes. But if there's a song half as good as this on it, I'll be happy. 
I don't know if there will be. I think this fucking rules. Yeah. Also, I love great Enemy. Solo. Enemy, um, when they reviewed the album, apparently said, like, you know, Graham's a great guitarist, and what do you know? He's a pretty decent singer. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> such faint praise. Yeah. We used to cover this one as well, actually, back in the day. Did you? Yeah. Makes sense. I can hear it. Yeah. Must bring that back. You should. <laughs> it's a genuinely great song. Number 23rd, Ticketmaster.com forward slash seven. Eight, tandem four, Felix. Yeah. The big, the great Tandem Felix Giggins guy. Yeah. Okay. Cover set. <laughs> I mean, listen, I, I, I want to hear Tandem Felix songs, but I also want to hear you covering lots of great songs because, you know, you, you did that before. Remember there was the Tapley cover There's album? certainly was. And my number one could have been a song from that um, particular uh, 30 song covers album that I did um, uh, it is certainly one of the songs or one of the singers that I covered um, but it, it wasn't the song that I did that was a song called Black Flowers by a band called Yola Tango but unfortunately that is not what I've picked my number one is in fact this song right here Another season of the same old And in typical me fashion, I didn't put the chorus in that clip for some reason, but uh, it's because the final stanza of that song, I think, is one of the most heartbreaking verses of all time. Another season, but the same old feelings. Another reason to be, another reason to be, I'm tired of aching. The summer's what you make it, but I'll believe what I want to believe. It's just so, <laughs> now that's jaded and world weary right there. But uh, it's a beautiful poppy song by the band Yola Tango called Stockholm Syndrome off their album I Can Hear the Heart Beating as One one of the great all-time song titles from uh, 1997 and that is sang by bass player um, James McNew who uh, doesn't it's not it's not a rare moment for him but it's he's, he's certainly not the, the the first or second person you would think in the band uh, the three-piece as, as being uh, taking lead vocal uh, duties on a particular song and this one I think is just another one of those like the bringing a full circle like After Hours by Velvet Underground just a perfectly written song and it's simply guitar acoustic guitar bass and drums and lead vocals and some backing vocals no trimmings nothing like that just a song sitting out in front of an audience uh, telling it that it loves them telling it that <laughs> it loves them telling them that it loves them and uh yeah, that's kind of all I have to say about that. It's 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 um, always one of the I've seen like Yellow Tango many times in concert, only a couple of months ago, um, as well. But uh, this is a song that I'm always looking forward to hearing and will never grow tired of listening to for many reasons. But the lyric being one of the main reasons, and it's uh, yeah, heartbreaking and life affirming and uh, a little bop as well. So all in one. If uh, if you're keeping track at home, listener, that's all of Tapley's songs that I need to go and listen to. <laughs> and for fear of adding nothing, let's just jump to my number one, which I'm glad you didn't pick. Thought you would. Surprise didn't feature. Ooh. Feels like an obvious one, but it was, it was the first one I thought of, and it's one that you know I love to bits. So here it is. Walk her every day into a shady place with a lip she said she said Yeah. 
That is Gigantic by Pixies, or The Pixies, if you prefer. <laughs> Kim Deal, of course, stealing the spotlight here. Uh, Kim Deal, of course, you know, a, a tremendous front woman in her own right. The Breeders, actually, just this week, announced the 30th uh, anniversary edition of Last Splash, I believe. Are they touring, possibly? Uh, Pixies, right? So, yeah, this is uh, Gigantic. It's taken from Surfer Rosa in 1988. I think it's their debut single. There was two versions of it recorded. I think someone at 4AD wanted like a more kind of polished one or something, and there was some kind of ructions amongst producers, but this is the one that was put out into the world. Do you know, David Tappy, what this song is about, lyrically speaking? No. I wasn't sure myself, and then I was like, is it really? This is a bit controversial. Um, let's have a listen. Uh, this is some excerpts from a French television interview that the Pixies did around the time, and there's some kind of annoying interstitial stings uh, using the Pixies music but it's just all a bit kind of slapdash or something but we'll hear uh, directly from Kim Deal what the song is about uh, do you al- always understand his lyrics no I have no idea what he thinks about him most of the time actually. like a bone machine I do that only because he explained it to me w- what's it uh, bone about? machine woman's pelvis bone machine ah. fucking I guess fuck motion what does your mother think about your music she's very very proud Where's that song about gigantic? Um, it's uh about um. You, you she, she wrote, wrote it. You wrote it. lyrics because most of oh yeah right. Um, anyway, oh about watching a young kid and an older woman get an older married woman get together, have sex, sex between a black man and a white woman in the fifties where it wasn't like taboo to do that. Fucking South Park ending there, like. <laughs> I don't even know what to what say. What the hell? Yeah, so Kim Deal was apparently inspired by a film called Crimes of the Heart, in which a white married woman falls in love with a black teenager. Um, and I guess, you know, like, there's uh, fucking playful wordplay going on with, you know, gigantic big, big love. And I'm like, and I'm kind of like, is this okay? Like, I don't know. Like, I don't think it's meant to be uh, racist or anything, but I'm like, it's got me reevaluating. I don't think it was written with ill intentions or anything. I haven't seen the film. Neither have I. <laughs> I mean, but I don't think it was written. I don't know. I mean, the Pixies are kind of hard to figure out. I'd like to think that this beloved song has noble intentions to it. Of course, yes. But what did you the think? The love is big. The love is gigantic. Yeah. It's and like, a... and you can interpret it in different ways, but I don't know. I didn't write the song. Um, I've just, you know, loved the sound of the Pixies beaming into my ears yes. since I was a young boy. As have I. Uh, what did you think of that, that that television show? Sounds pretty ramshackle to me. The, the one we heard the clip from? Yeah. That kind of reminds me of every time I've ever gone to look at some sort of old MTV clip. And I can guarantee you, I haven't seen the footage, but I can guarantee you that at one point it cuts to a slower frame rate, black and white shot of, yes. Kim, you know, from yeah. a slightly different angle, handheld camera. Yeah. Um, well, some extremely cool MTV host with dreadlocks probably and smoking a cigarette or something is is asking them what they think of Starbucks coming in to, you know, <laughs> what do you think of Starbucks? Um, but Crash TV kind of stuff, yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's exactly what it's like. But um, yeah, great tune. Probably a couple of Kim Deal tunes could have been in there for sure, but this is, yeah, one of the, one of my favourites. Yeah, I love I, I love their production style. I love just the, the anarchy of Pixies, of mm. course. Uh, for more Pixies chat, go back to our uh, Top 5 support acts with Cullum O'Regan. He picked Pixies for a gig, and it was really interesting him describing the vibe of that day when they supported Chili Peppers in Phoenix Park. Oh, yes. Okay, I was wondering. Because I saw them supporting the Arcade Fire. How was that? It was a nightmare. Was it? <laughs> <laughs> tell, do tell. Um, 
they started playing the baser like you literally just heard and Frank Black went I'm sorry I've broken a string on my guitar which means it's time to go <laughs> oh, no. and it's like mate you've got seven of them back there come on just get one uh, and he walked off stage and the rest of the band kind of you could tell were shocked by this revelation that he wasn't going to go off and get a you know a secondary a secondary Stratocaster that he's probably got quite a few of Side stage. How far into the set were they? It was probably going to be. It was probably going to be their their final song, but it was just they started. They teased the riff, yeah. like not intentionally teased. They stopped the riff six notes in or whatever, and uh, I was I was pumped to hear. Well, yeah, one of my favorite Pixie songs, but um, yeah, unfortunately it wasn't to be. So they walked off stage, all looking quite confused. But uh, that's upsetting. Yes, certainly was. That's upsetting. Okay, well, that's the show for the week, everybody. Mm-hmm. Which in itself is upsetting. Uh, I, th- I think we've given them quite bang for their book with this <laughs> seven hour episode. I'm trying so hard <laughs> to get to your level. That's where that's where I got to. What's, right? what's my level? Oh, what, what, linking? Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't do it. It was pretty good. Um, okay. So, yeah. I mean, like the man, I, I see now, now I'm thinking too much about it. So, the man who always puts the show in the spotlight. Speaking of Link, have you been playing the new Zelda game? <laughs> <laughs> I had it. That was good. Thank the, you. The man who puts the show always in the spotlight. That was yeah, good too. I appreciate that. Adam Shanahan, Sonic Architect, everybody. But of yes. course, to our special guest this week, the wonderful David Tapley, David A. Tapley of Tandem Felix. There is a new sheriff in town. Go check out the song. Go check out the forthcoming album. Get your gig tickets. Get your gig tickets, everybody. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Thank you for having me. It's Welcome been uh, a long time. Yeah, it's been too long. Much too long. So I'm, I'm glad you came in. And I, it was for, a very good top five. For no popcorn soon? <laughs> I mean, I, I'd like to do one, but, you know, you gotta you gotta push me. I'll push you. It needs to be pushed. I'll push you. Godfather Part 2, anybody? It's uh, not much in the way of musical connections. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> There's a song in it. Sure there is. Okay, right. Um, why can't I, I, I... I've forgotten how to end the show. Because I've derailed it completely. No, nah, I think it's me. I think it's me. It's the hay fever. It's the, it's the pressure of it all. And it's, you know, it's just, it's just who I am as a person. But, you know, all things must end. Much like this episode of No Encore. There has been no encore. There will be no encore. And to play us out, the new Town of Felix song? Why not? Let's do it. Let's add let's add six minutes to the show. <laughs> There's a new sheriff in town, everybody. 542. Goodbye.
gold, 15 years of gold, 15 years, 15 years of gold, 15 years of gold, 15 years, 15 years of gold, 15 years of gold, 15 years, 15 years of gold, 15 years of gold. Once upon a time, almost half of my life ago, I was doing fine. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.